You are about to opt in to Mineratopia, a show for the Monero community where all are welcome to join. From noob to maxi, no matter what bags you hold. Just sit back and relax to the sweet sounds of Monero's latest progress. Or if you're feeling inspired, join us on stage. Remember, the only thing that can stop Monero is a false belief that it can be stopped. And if you want to win the revolution faster, we recommend you remove your XMR from all custodial exchanges immediately. Warning, boating accidents are common around here. Don't forget to properly secure your private keys. Minerotopia starts now. Hello, hello, ha. We made it. Only five uh, minutes late. It's saying uh, zero. Why is it saying zero viewers? I see a bunch of people in the chat. I do not know. It takes a second. It like lags a little usually. What's going on? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Anybody that's in the spaces, if you can oh, okay. <laughs> tweet this out, share it, get the word out. This is going to be a good one. It's going to be a bit of a marathon. we got a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover, a lot going on. A lot going on, you think? <laughs> even this every morning. <laughs> There's a lot going on even now. <laughs> Please excuse us if we're a few minutes late because, you know, we're just running around like maniacs. Cheers. And now... Uh, Coffee is delicious, link. though. Coffee is delicious. Is it delicious? So yeah, let's get moved. Do we have? Uh, yeah, we have a chill. chill. Yeah, chill, Deverick. Chill, you ready? You ready? All right. Spring chill. Yeah, is Deverick coming up too? I thought so. I, or no? I think so. He's he's trying anyway. Okay. Well, good morning. Thank you so much. Good morning. morning. I'm sorry. Good I'm. Morning. I know you're sleepy. For her, I know. I felt bad. That's why I was like, let's get oh, her on. Oh wow. Okay. Thank you, it's not that early, but uh, I just I, I work late, so yeah, it's early for it's me. Early, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three hours behind us, right? Uh, yeah, it's nine a.m., so it's not really yeah, that early. early but, you know, I get it. You just early woke enough. Up yeah. Early enough. I, I'd be like that too. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Appreciate it. Um, Cheers. Cheerios. Yeah, I guess uh, we just wanted to uh, touch base on. The workshop, right? The yeah, we want, we want to bring you on, talk about the workshops. We mentioned them quite a bit, but uh, you're going to be running, basically running them with Devrick. Yes. So uh, we're looking for you. To I'm put, so excited. Put the word out, and I, we we need some right. We need some interaction with those that want to participate in the workshop before the workshops actually happen, so we can make them as successful as possible. Right. Yes, absolutely. So we are going to have two workshops. Um, there's a, a beginner's workshop, so you're going to learn everything you need to know about Monero, um, from its unique privacy features, like what, why it stands out in the crypto space, and then just practical knowledge. We want, we wanted to offer a lot of practical knowledge on how to buy it, uh, both KYC and non-KYC methods. <laughs> how to sell it, um, where to spend it, um, how to live on Monero, and obviously where to store it, um, hot wallets, um, hard wallets, and just some practical insights and actionable strategies um, to to help you uh, make this digital cash part of your everyday life. And you will need to bring... Uh, with your yourself, um, well, the, the, as a bare minimum, uh, at least a mobile device, right? Um, but ideally, a mobile device and a laptop. Um, you, we will, you will receive a Monerotopia booklet, which will have all the the material, and obviously, your positive attitude and your big <laughs> Monero loving heart. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, just, then, just, just to make it clear, yeah, so that's like the, what the Monero 101. I think really for anybody listening in to this show is kind of already beyond that. You guys are already obviously using Monero. You have your apps, whatever. You're, you're onboarded. So that's, that, that, the 101 is really directed to the noobs that we get to attend Monerotopia, hopefully locally. Exactly. So we have that marketplace that's integrated into the conference and they're going to be out there advertising as well to try to bring people in because they do it kind of on a monthly basis. So we're expecting actually a decent group of noobs to be flowing through the conference and then we want to kind of direct them towards stopping by uh, this 101 workshop and have them essentially onboarded to Monero, get them to download Cake or Monero uh, send them a few few uh, pesos worth of Monero and mm. teach them the basics. But then the Monero advanced class, that's where yes. I think we need uh, kind of to inform those that are listening now that want to participate on what they're going to need to bring. Yes, and that's super exciting. And I see Deverick's on, so I just let him huh. introduce the advanced workshop. Deverick, how's it Deverick, going? what's going on, man? Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, in between locations. uh they just opened a crumble cookie in the city. Um, so there's like a mm. fight for cookies the past couple of days. So I had to show up at like 9 a.m. to grab some cookies. So, uh, <laughs> don't mind the, uh, <laughs> don't mind the car noises in the background. But yeah, so we're working on the, uh, on the workshop. The, it's the next step, right? Um, running your own node. Um, we're, we're going to be primarily focusing on a uh, Pi node as a, as an installation platform, but feel free to bring your laptop. Um, and if you want to run a node just on your laptop using Monero GUI, we can also support that as well. But the idea here is that you're going to be able to run and maintain your own node, uh, whether that be through a VPS, whether that be through a uh, Raspberry Pi, some type of like small embedded device, um, an Intel Nook, Mac Mini, or your uh, spare laptop. Um, so given those constraints you'll, or given those uh, resources, you'll need to bring you know, a power supply, you'll need to bring your laptop, um, and then we'll provide some additional resources like uh, a mouse and keyboard. Uh, we'll have a, a switch and a, a router there. Um, we'll have a spare uh, node there. So if you want to copy blocks locally from um, from a local node, you can do that. But also if you want to just verify from the network, uh, you can you can obviously pull down from the network uh, from, from peers outside. Um, the reason for having a local node is just constraints, network constraints. Uh, at the conference, um, if we have 10, 15 people all attempting to download, uh, you know, the Monero blockchain at one time, we're going to um, severely damage the, the network um, capabilities during the conference time. So I'm going to have a local node running. Um, but, yeah, overall, the agenda here is to get you running a node. Um, so I think, Chills, uh, you're going to be receiving a, an email with a little bit of information, but the, yeah, the overall agenda it. here. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so the overall goal here is to identify um, how you would like to run your node. Uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to support different types uh, of nodes being ran, but but the main focus for for day one course is going to be PyNode XMR. Um, so that will be uh, installed either on a laptop, a VPS, um, x86. Uh, I think it also supports uh, Raspberry Pi and and uh, uh, Rock Pi, uh, Rock Pro 64. Um, check the the PyNode uh, Pi XMR website for any type of additional requirement. Awesome. Yeah. So just to, to clarify again, so you sent out that email to yeah, everybody? I sent it out yesterday. To everybody that essentially uh, yeah, bought, bought a ticket? ticket. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. So everybody should have gotten an email. And in that email, it includes basically what, what Deverick said with a form for people to fill out to basically answer some questions and inform them on what they should bring. 
depending on essentially what type of uh, full node they're look they're looking to run, whether they want to use the GUI or PyNode XMR. Um, and yeah, that's that, that's pretty much it. We always talk about it on this, you know, everybody's always putting the word out. Everybody should be running their own node. Uh, so we, you know, the goal with this is to actually walk people through that and not just explain it, but actually get them up and running. If they're, if you guys are willing to bring, you know, a laptop down there, uh, or the other hardware that you might need, depending on which option you want to go, bring it down and Deverick and Chill will actually walk you through the process of getting a, a full node up and running, which I think is super cool. So yes. anything, anything else we should put out there in terms of, uh, information that people need to know? Yeah, I think in, in addition to that, I'll also have, uh, four or five, uh, Mac minis, right, uh, available. I grabbed, uh, five awesome. of those at a local auction here recently. So if you don't have a device currently, but you know you have a little bit of Monero uh, sitting around and you want to spend some Monero at the conference, um, you can buy one of these Mac Minis, uh, plug in, and we'll get you uh, get you set up to run a node before you leave the conference. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. That's awesome. So yeah, you could you could you could show up at this conference uh, even if you don't bring a device, and Deverick will be <laughs> be selling uh, Mac Minis for, for Monero and then teach you on the spot. <laughs> how to get a full note up and running that you could bring home with you. That's, that's epic. That's, that's amazing. going to be a very heavy suitcase. If I wasn't so busy running around, part, running the conference, I'd be sitting in on, on, on that workshop. Um, thank you so much, guys. Uh, I think, I think that's it. I think we, we covered it there, right? Yeah, I think so, right? Anything else you guys want to share? Chill, Deborah? No, that's it. I just wanted um, to give a shout out to Deverick. <laughs> you never get, you never takes any credit for all the hard work, but uh, it's been a lot of work on the integration side with Umbrel, and I'm actually most excited about the um, the Umbrel. Um, yeah, De- Deverick, you want to give us some insight into that that integration that actually came out of this exercise of getting ready? Sure, for the- sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something I haven't talked about much. Uh, um, just kind of works in the background right now, but uh, the, in the umbral space for the Bitcoin on the Bitcoin side, they released uh, the community app store. Uh, the past couple months, I spent a little bit of time of integrating uh, Monero D into different platforms. Um, so Raspi Blitz, I don't know if anyone knows, but I do a little bit of uh, development for the Raspi Blitz environment. So I went ahead and integrated Monero D in there. I uh, haven't opened up a PR yet, and I'm pretty sure that won't get accepted too easily. Uh, if we want that to get accepted, we're going to have to represent ourselves within the community and show why it needs to be represented on that node. Um, however, for um, for Umbral, Umbral has a community app store that makes it really easy to to install um, any apps that are that are built and and kind of stored on a on a Git repository. Um, so I have a, a Git repo out there that that currently is hosting uh, uh, BTC Pay, and it is the altcoin version of BTC Pay, which includes uh, Monero D. So you could pull that down and, and spin up. Um, one-click install from Umbral, uh, a Monero G node as well uh, as uh, BTC Pay, so a vendor could could essentially have a one-click installation installation uh, up and running for accepting payments is for payments for any type of like products or, or services you're looking to sell. Um, and then we're going to continue that forward a little bit, I think. Uh, from from there, uh, I, I need to build out kind of a front end for for, for the Monero side, um, and then potentially a wallet. We'll we'll sit we'll sit on that. I, I'd like to kind of think about what other Web wallets may be in development, but uh, something to think about as a community is, I think, getting into building out a web wallet that could 
drop into some of these solutions. Derek, if you could just take a step back, explain what Umbral is in its in its most you know for those that haven't even heard of that. Sure. Um, another similar one is Run Tippy uh, that that Monero bull pitched to me uh, at, at one point. Umbral is uh, what I would call a home home server that uh, just happens to run uh, Bitcoin applications. Um, so Umbral allows you to run things like Nextcloud. It's a self-hosted, you know, self-sovereign type solution. Uh, one of the things you'll get as a critique against Umbral is is their their copyright that they have. They're not necessarily fully open source. Um, that they don't want you essentially using their code and, and then repackaging and selling it for as a product solution. Um, but more than more than uh, capable of, of creating uh, open source uh, products or services and, and using it on the Umbral. Um, or in the Umbral environment. So I think what I've worked at is, is looking at what else can we support outside of Bitcoin. Bitcoin was one of the first things that they focused on, but is not really a, a Bitcoin-specific uh, device. It runs things outside of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, and in, in my world, specifically, I like to run Monero and Bitcoin, so I just wanted an implementation that could do both. It did start off first as like a, a Raspberry Pi installation. So, you know, you, you buy a Raspberry Pi, you flash the SD card, um, you have an external drive, and then um, you got a, a full node kind of set up on the Bitcoin side, um, as well as all these other nice apps. The, the problem there is resources. Um, over time, you just end up running too many apps and services, and you're going to need something like a desktop or a server. Um, but this really depends on you. It depends on what you need, and I think that's the important part. And what I like about Umbro is it's letting you decide what applications you want to install and, and choosing to install them as you see fit. So I think just having that extra support where we can install Monero on Umbro is nice, um, where you can have a wallet would be nice. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been working on. And like you said before, this is potentially might be the best route for a vendor that's looking to essentially natively accept Monero in the most pure form, running their own server, uh, and then through BTC pay server, easily add, add Monero as a, as a payment option. Maybe. Um, I mean, I, w- I would definitely say like there, there's a it's probably going to be one of the easiest one click installations. I don't know of another like one click type installation deal. Um, PyNode would get you set up, but you wouldn't have BTC pay. You could do BTC pays, you know, installation and everyone references Seth's guide. Um, but that's still going to be kind of a manual process. The the BTC pay installation and everything that I'm running on Umbral is actually using uh, Seth's containers along with uh um, the, it's like the, the Monero wallet and the Monero daemon. Um, so it's all of that just kind of packaged with a nice front end. Uh, if you dig into it a little bit deeper, you'll see that on the Umbral side, they have kind of, uh, an Umbral Bitcoin repository. Um, and that was forked from another project. I, it's kind of space to me what it is. Um, but it's just kind of a general purpose middleware that allows you to, um, kind of communicate from the front end to the back end of a blockchain. So front end UI. Back chain, uh, back into the blockchain. Um, so I've been refactoring that to support kind of like the, the Monero side for the, the daemon right now. Currently, the daemon doesn't have a, a front end, and I think that's that's the gap that I'm working. With. Amazing, man. Amazing. I mean, as as I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking how how valuable it is that you you guys are going to be down there. So. Any anybody that that's you know interested in like truly getting up and running in, in the right way, um, I highly recommend you guys participating in the workshop. You'll have Chill and Devrick who will be there, kind of walking you through these things. And it's not just kind of a a one one you know one means fits all purposes. They're they're gonna you know sit there and 
try to understand what you're trying to achieve and help steer you in the, in the proper direction, which is very cool. Um, thank you guys. Yes. Yeah, so anybody that's listening, please, uh, check your email. And if you're interested in participating in the workshop, particularly the, the advanced workshop, which I think most, most of our audience would probably be interested in, just fill out that form. Um, so we know what to expect. And so you know what you need bringing in terms of which option, which direction you're looking to go. Yeah, and last call out I would have is for any developers, if there are any devs out there that would be interested in helping work on some of that, um, reach out to me. I'll, I'll be happy to share the, some of the repos and some of the work I'm on uh, currently. Awesome. How how best should people uh, get in touch with you? Uh, hit me on Twitter, uh, at Deborah Kampala. I'll put it in the show notes All once right. the show's over. All right, All guys. Right, guys. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks. Thank you for waking up early or, you know, calling us on the way to delicious cookies. We enjoy enjoy those time. cookies. <laughs> About to smash them. Right. Hey, you gotta fight for him. I've been hitting the gym. <laughs> You've earned it, man. You've earned it. All right. uh, um, thank yes, you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate Bye, guys. All right. Bye, guys. See you show. in Mexico City. Bye. Yes. Like, yeah. all righty. We've been Let's... talking to them for, for weeks. Everett has been in a ton of, ton of work to uh, get all this kind of up and running, you know, worked on these and ended up working on these implementations as, uh, realizing that, you know, these are, these are things that can be worked on that will make it easier for people that do want to, you know, run a full node, um, and for vendors that want to, uh, natively accept Monero. Uh, so yeah, should be cool, guys. Should be Very really, excited. really cool. I yeah, I wish excited. I would, I'd be able to. You're going to be running around like a maniac. <laughs> Hang out. Yeah. You know, cause like we, we'll pop in. We, we do all this stuff, but it's like we don't sit down and, and we, we talk about it. Like we need to spend, like take a week off from doing everything we do and just recheck everything that we're doing in Monero land to make sure we're using best practices. Like we have our gratuitous shop. We have, you know, our Monerotopia website. Uh, you know, we use the Monero gateway, um, tied into where, uh, WooCommerce on WordPress for, for our purposes, but even things like, you know, running a full node, we, we bought the PC off of somebody with Monero, um, and it's, it could be used as a Monero miner. We had it like up and running a little bit, but then we stopped because, you know, <laughs> so it's like, we finally are using the computer. <laughs> here we are, but you know, we never take the time on our own to, to get everything up and running to, to the best of its ability in the best form. Yeah. After, and I'm sure after the conference, you'll be like, how about we do this? So I don't know. We'll get there, guys. We'll get there. Alrighty. Let's move on to the price report with body. The Monerotopia Price Report segment is sponsored by Local Monero. Avoid using KYC exchanges. Buy and sell Monero directly for fiat, peer-to-peer. I love it. <laughs> Hi, buddy. How's it going? Hey. Happy time change day. I'm to, I know. <laughs> oh, gosh. I know. It actually hit me more. I feel like I'm still, like, tired. I was in Mexico last week. <laughs> And now I came back to a time change. Really well, we don't even have a time change here. It, it didn't happen here. It's, I don't know, we're like delayed or something. No, uh, daylight savings time yeah, was last. Yeah, it was last Sunday. week. Yeah, yeah, last weekend. Yeah. So when okay. I can yeah, that's what I'm saying. I okay. feel like kind of a little jet laggy. Okay. Yeah, you got me off. <laughs> like there's another. No, no, no. <laughs> we're changing it. it back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe my phone hasn't updated, but I'm showing, um, 925 and I think you guys are on 1125 right now. Usually we're just an hour behind. So I think yeah, Mexico yeah. doesn't, I don't think Mexico changes just yet. It might be like, I don't know, next week or yeah, sometime soon. 
U.S. changed it last Yeah, Sunday. it changed last Sunday. Yeah. So when I woke up Sunday there, it was like two hours. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, it's yes. but We, anyway. we get to have the pleasure of this conversation twice a year since, like, the world doesn't even do that. Every country does their time change slightly differently, so. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> Yeah. Not as big a mess as the uh, as the whole banking system right now. Right, right. If they if they can't get the time right, how are they going to get the banking coordinated, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, man. Another major another major week in the in the broader economy and the crypto economy, right? Yep. Yeah, almost not a moment after we got off the horn last week, they um, they did some intervention and they papered over everything. They fixed it, so we're good now. We can go up. <laughs> <laughs> so give us the lowdown, man. Okay, so um, the the graph we're looking at right here is the uh, the total assets on the Federal Reserve balance sheet. Um, this is something called the Wednesday level. The like the formal official number comes out once a month, um, but this kind of gives you the sort of um, the tentative view on a weekly basis. So this is a very long uh, time view right here. You can see how their balance sheet just expanded massively in 2008 or 2009 when they started QE. Um, we have this like very long period where they tried to basically stop purchasing assets. It's like a heroin addict trying to come off the addiction. Um, but ultimately they were unable to do that. And then of course, uh, you know, we had the whole COVID. Oh crap. I'm not supposed to say that word. The whole <laughs> bump. Okay. So the thing that's important here is if we zoom into a local time frame, you can see that, um, things bumped up here by, I believe it was like 150 billion, something like that. I, I think by the end of the week, it was more like 160 billion. So, um, why did this happen? Why did their balance sheet suddenly expand when they're, they've been trying so hard for the last year to reduce it? So on Sunday, uh, which is very unusual for them to put out publications um, of big news like this on Sunday. Um, but what happened last Sunday was the Federal Reserve created, they did two main things. They created a special lending facility. So if you remember, we talked about these banks like SVB that were holding long-term low-yield debt. And that debt was now less valuable than the newer debt being issued because the newer debts uh, was being issued at like four and a half percent, whereas they were holding something like one and a half percent. So effectively, if you want to sell that lower yielding bond, you have to offer people a discount. So even though you might have a bond value to say a billion dollars, that would be the quote unquote par value. You would have to sell that thing in maybe 90 cents on the dollar just to convince someone to buy it because people are like, why would I buy your bond? I can go buy a new bond that's yielding four and a half percent. So. They were holding all that on their balance sheet and um, they ideally they didn't intend to sell it. They don't want to sell this stuff. They intend to hold it into maturity because then after like 10 years, because it was long term bonds that were holding after 10 years, they can turn it back into the government. The government will give them all of their value, the par value plus the interest. So um, this was this. It looks fine on the balance sheet. Um, it, it like. The way that they do the banking regulation in the United States, at least, allows them to not write that off as a loss. But when when um, these tech startups were all withdrawing all their money because, you know, bear market, um, they were having to meet liquidity. They were having to start selling off bonds. That surprised everyone. It caused a run on the bank. They couldn't meet their immediate liquidity. So the FDIC takes over. The bank's going to fail. And now all the depositors are going to get paid back, you know, whatever it is that of the assets the bank is holding, which the FDIC on Sunday uh, and the Treasury and the Federal Reserve basically um, insured. They said, You're, every depositor is going to get everything back, so everything's fine. Stop panicking, everybody. Stop making a run on the banks. And so effectively what they did is they created this new lending facility that allows – I'm sorry, I know this is really dry. <laughs> it occurs to me as I'm, as I'm saying this as fast as I can. So they created this special lending facility where banks like SVB – um, could have, I mean, they already failed, but 
banks that are in a similar situation can put up as collateral these long-term, low-yielding debt, and the Federal Reserve will loan them the par value of that asset um, at the overnight rate plus a 10 basis point increase, so 0.1% above the overnight federal funds rate. So what it means is that um, these banks now that might be in trouble don't have to sell those bonds at a loss. They can just put them up as collateral at the Fed, and uh, and they can get a temporary loan, uh, a one-year loan, to meet immediate liquidity. Now, it's not exactly an attractive proposition. We'll talk more about this why. We'll talk about um, some of the bond rates and, and numbers there. But... Um, Ultimately, so that was that was one major thing they did. Only eleven billion dollars has been loaned out with that lending facility. However, the the other thing they did that was major, um, there's something called the discount window, and it's not like um, it's not an adjective. <laughs> it's it's actually a thing. It's like a lending facility that that's part of the Federal Reserve since its creation, and it basically allows banks to put up collateral um, to meet immediate liquidity needs, and typically. If a bank was going to put something like a treasury or a bond as collateral with the Federal Reserve to get a loan from them, they the, the Federal Reserve would only loan them less than the full value of that bond as a protection mechanism in case, you know, the bank uh, fails or whatever. So what the Federal Reserve decided to do on Sunday was that they were going to give people the full value of whatever bond um, that they uh, that they were putting up as collateral. So it's kind of like they created the separate, the, the separate lending facility, which hilariously is called the BTFP. I don't even remember the name of this acronym. Um, I'm not even going to try, but I thought it was hilarious because like, you know, buy the fucking dip, B- BTFD. And so they make this lending facility called BTFP, which I guess means buy the fucking pump at this point. Um, so that's, you know, that was to me ironic, but, um, anyways, the point is that the, the main action happened not in the new facility that they created, but in the relaxed requirements of the old facility, the discount window, um, that they had created, uh, or that was already, sorry, in existence. So, um, what we saw was a massive expansion of the balance sheet and people, banks took, it was something like 153 billion on Wednesday, but then it was like 160 or 170 billion by the time the week closed. Um, so that's quite a lot of money, as you can imagine. Now, we need to understand the reason why this happened. Um, because there's a question here. Is this just banks trying to meet liquidity so that they don't go under because people are withdrawing their funds? So they're taking loans, you know, and it's not really going to hit the economy. It's just banks trying to not, you know, not go under, right? They, they, they need the immediate liquidity, so they're taking all these loans because people are uncertain, so they're moving their funds and companies are moving their funds, right? Is it just that? Because the, the discount window is just a 90-day time frame. So when a bank puts a collateral and takes a loan from the Federal Reserve on that basis, it's a 90-day, maximum 90-day. Um, some of them do shorter time frames. It's a maximum 90-day loan. So it could just be people trying to meet short-term liquidity, but um, when we start looking at these numbers, you're going to understand that, uh, no, this is just free money. They just handed free money to the banks. Um, so, okay, you've got the, the flat light, uh, the flat white line, this guy right here. That is the current federal funds rate. And then I want you to pay attention to these uh, two kind of grayish lines right here. The, the lighter one, that's the three-month, uh, that three-month yield for the U.S. Treasuries. And then the dark gray one, that's the six-month yield on U.S. Treasuries. And finally, this dotted white line is the effective rate that these banks are going to have to pay at the discount window when they take that loan from the Federal Reserve. Um, it's basically uh, 0.1% higher than the Federal Reserve, the Federal Funds Rate. So what do you notice? The dotted line uh, on Monday – actually, let's go to the four-hour. This will make – this will be a lot easier to see on the four-hour. So – 
let's go to the beginning of the week, which would be right here, Sunday, Monday. Here we go. Uh, let's put a vertical line right there. Okay, so right where that vertical line appeared, that's the beginning of the week. You'll notice all of these treasuries that are yielding higher than the rate that these banks are going to lend from from the Federal Reserve. So basically, they can put up collateral, take money, take a loan from the Federal Reserve at 4.67% interest, and then go buy treasuries that are all yielding higher. So this was just totally free money for them. Anything they put in there, they're getting the difference, the spread on these yields right here. So you'll notice that uh, essentially... Oh, crap. You know what? Sorry. That's the, I, I messed up right here. I made a little mistake. Um, so that was two Mondays ago. Here is the actual beginning. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. All right. <laughs> but, but anyways, the same thing applies, right? So, okay. So here's Monday. All right. So this right here is Monday. That's, uh, that yellow line. And then again, but still same deal. You can see that all of the, uh, all of the rates are above the rate that they have to lend. So it's just free money. They can put money with the Federal Reserve, take a loan, then turn around and use that money. Oh, and another big part of this was the Fed said that you can use that for anything you want. Banks, you're, there, there was no restrictions on what they could use this money for that they're getting these loans from the Federal Reserve. <clears throat> so, uh, effectively what happened is they all bought a whole bunch of bonds. And then so we saw the, the rates on bonds, uh, at least the, the one year, uh, the one year maturity essentially went down below the rate that that can be lent out or that they can get from the Federal Reserve. But um, I don't know exactly how this happened. But for the entire week, basically, the three and six month yields were all still above the rate that they could get from the Federal Reserve. So, again, just totally free money. By the end of the week, it looks like um, rates have finally dropped down just a little bit below that critical line right there. But effectively, this is what happened. Now, that doesn't mean that $153 billion new dollars is going into the economy immediately. Um, that Those loans all have to get paid back within 90 days. And it's unlikely that the Federal Reserve is going to keep this discount window relaxed for a long period of time. But it does mean that some billions of dollars are effectively being printed. So it's kind of like... It, it, it's interesting because it's it's kind of like a way of giving some of these banks a little bit of extra profits that they might need to sort of um, improve their balance sheet. But it's people are saying that like the QE, the money printers turned back on and they bailed everyone out and yada yada and it's and it's time for bull market and etc. And I basically see that everywhere that's ubiquitous almost. But the reality is that it's it's really not quite as uh, free for all extravaganza. This is not a post two thousand eight. QE unlocked, QE infinity. I mean, okay, in some ways it is because we know that they'll always do quantitative easing. They'll always be there to bail the banks out. And, and they always have to be because, okay, inflation is bad, but we've dealt with 10% inflation, 15% inflation. America has survived that um, even for a decade, right? So that's survivable. But what's not survivable is default on the debt, like hardcore, actual, we can't pay. We have to default in bankrupts as a nation. We have to, we have to like redo all of the deals that we have. So default is like the worst case scenario for them. So they'll almost always print their way out of this. So, but at the moment, this isn't like a crazy printing extravaganza, but the market is very convinced that it is. And in some ways, it's basically getting rid of the negatives that happened that brought the market down. Um, like we were talking about two weeks ago where I said, hey, be on it. Things could crash here at any moment. Um, the, the charts are looking bad. As soon as they break down, it's time to get out. Well, that was all the banking, um, all these banking woes that were happening. Uh, that That's what would cause that. So now that those are alleviated, basically everything is coming back uh coming back into like basically above their their crash, their doom levels. So, okay, so that's bonds right there. Let's go ahead and um, let's just go to crypto. We'll go straight to crypto because this makes, you know, we'll talk about Bitcoin actually because it makes the most sense to look at this chart. Um, 
So as we usually do, we just kind of take a quick zoom out here so everyone can kind of see what, uh, what the long term looks like. Let's add some of these, uh, some of these large lines right here so that we can just get a, a feel for what the big chart looks like. Um, so, you know, we've got our basically our, our bear, uh, our bear trend or our bear market downtrend line. We've got this very long uptrend line. Um, essentially Bitcoin has recovered those levels. So. Right, this bottom dotted line, that was the FTX Doom level. That was an important level for us. And you can see that this wick down that happened on this past week um, basically brought us back to the bear market trend line and then bounced right off of it. Of course, it bounced off because, uh, you know, because of the intervention. So let's go to some shorter time frames and let's take off or let's add the, uh, the more local view here on our, on our pleb lines. Uh, for a second, we'll just keep this looking slightly schizophrenic just so that you can kind of have, um, a broader idea. We'll go to the four hour time frame so it's not too painful on the eyes. Um, so again, right here, we're basically, uh, touching that bear market resistance, or sorry, bear market, um, well, it was resistance and then it turned into support, right? By bouncing off of this line, it turned into support and then basically regained the channel. And so now we'll take off, we'll remove the, uh, the macro stuff or the long term stuff. So basically you can see that we had this kind of like, uh, upwards channel that was, you know, essentially defining the action for this year as, uh, as things took off. So we broke that down and then immediately came back. Um, there was the question on USDC. And as we talked about last week, USDC was never in any real trouble. Um, worst case, they might have lost $300 million and then, um, but they, they make so much yield. They, they're so profitable for the past few years that they, they really were never in any danger. Um, but at any rate, um, part of what drove this bottoming right here was the, the fear of USDC that people thought, Oh crap, USDC is going down. The banks are going down. I better get into real crypto now. And so that was a big part of really this part of the trend. And then, uh, and then when the Fed came out and well, the, both the Fed and the Treasury and the FDIC came out and uh, promised to backstop everything, you know, that was basically game on again. And I tweeted about that in real time saying, Hey, they just, they bailed everyone out, right? Quote unquote bailed out. It, it wasn't quite as bailout as you might think in terms of like 2008, you know, but they did do some intervention like that. We, we have to, we have to recognize that there was intervention that was done. I do think they tried to use a light touch. They tried to do as little as they had to. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it is a bit shady the way that they just handed banks free money essentially on that interest rate spread. So do you think that initial, you know, you're saying when what kind of we, we pumped up was people moving to crypto as a safe haven asset because they had nowhere else to go? Or is it just because they anticipated that, you know, the Fed was going to do some kind of, uh, you know, whatever quantitative easing or they weren't going to raise interest rates as fast or potentially even pivot? Was it was the pump because of what? you know, anticipating what the Fed was going to do, or is it really potentially because of people seeing value in crypto as a, uh, you know, store of value asset? I think it was a little bit of both. Um, but primarily this part right here of the pump was driven by the fear that USDC was about to permanently depeg because people were panicking. They were dumping their USDC. They wanted to get anything that they could. So Tether also um, bumped up higher than, than the dollar par value. But people were also buying all kinds of crypto with that. So um, that was a factor. There definitely, I'm sure there was a factor about people being afraid of banking contagion. So they were probably also buying crypto with real U.S. dollars. Um, you know, so there was like the fear component. There was also the, hey, I need to get into a real sovereign asset component. Um, and I think both of those made up and also, as you said, that people expecting that, well, the banks are going to bail everything out or sorry, the Fed's going to bail everything out. So everything will be fine, probably. Um, so I think that's what made up this initial pump right here.
Uh, and then essentially, so you can see right here on Sunday, it was right about here. Uh, that's right where the Fed came out with their announcement on Sunday. So after that, it's like, all right, this is game on. Like they just bailed everything out. The only reason that we even like did this whole dip down was because of um, SVB and, and the potential uh, banking problems looming. So with that all gone, it's like, all right, you know, it, it's back to game on, right? We just recovered the exact channel that we've been here for, for months now. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we've got Bitcoin is Bitcoin dominance is, um, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how it looks like, you know, Bitcoin dominance was kind of going vertical, uh, or going parabolic, I should say. And, uh, and then it broke down and then it just kind of, you know, busted out of all of these lines in the last, uh, in the last week. So, um, to me, that's, that's slightly sus and we'll talk a bit more about this as well, but, um, effectively markets have recovered. Yes. But they haven't just like massively, massively recovered to the top of their trend like Bitcoin just did. I get the feeling, and especially in combination with some of the action we're seeing on Monero and just in general across the markets, I get the feeling that there is still kind of a limited amount of cash out there. There's not unlimited cash. And so the market makers in crypto, this feels a lot like the end of 2020 when they're trying to pump Bitcoin. They're trying to convince the, the retail markets that it's game on and you need to be getting into crypto. So what do they do? They have limited resources, so they throw them at the thing that's going to make the most impact psychologically, and that's Bitcoin. It's still Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, you know, 45% starting to push. What is that? 48, 46, 47% right now dominance. Um, so I do think that they're trying to sort of spark the, uh, spark the FOMO here. I think they'll be somewhat successful for a while, but I don't, I still don't believe this is the real bull market. I still don't believe this is like, I don't see hyperinflation right here. I don't see, um, you know, I still see significant amount of problems here uh, in, in a lot of ways. So uh, one thing. Did Balaji come out and say uh, Bitcoin's going to hit a million dollars within the next <laughs> 90 days or something? Yeah, here's the tweet. But yeah, this guy, I would take his bet. That'd be the easiest million dollars he ever made, you know. But um, so 90 day term. Holy crap. That's so dumb. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I've never heard of this guy before, but. Oh, you never heard of him? Uh, he's, nah. a, he's a big Zcash shill as well. So, oh my god, all credibility lost there. I mean, the guy, you know, he ha- he has some amazing takes, but he clearly seems to be just trying to pump Bitcoin, like the next yeah. Michael Saylor, right? Well, well, here's XMR Zcash. So, if he's a big Zcash shill, you know, he's uh, for the past few years, you know, he's down like I don't know, that looks like twenty seven X. 2,700% Monero has outperformed Zcash since, uh, since 2017. And, and, and let's just, let's just take a look in the, uh, in the local market. Monero has outperformed Zcash by almost 4x, 265%. So, uh, yeah, so Balaji's probably losing a lot of money. Uh, although, I mean, let's be real. He probably has some friends somewhere that's going to take the bet, you know, or someone that he knows and, uh, he'll lose the bet and then he'll get that million dollars back or something, right? Like no one would be that dumb, but maybe his, uh, I don't know. I've never seen this guy. So what, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, he's, you know, <laughs> big Silicon Valley. I think, you know, he's worth billions, right? I mean, the guy is, is mega successful, um, viewed uh, as being like this, you know, uh, thought leader that's able to predict the future. T-H-O-T. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I judge people based on what I know, and just to see that he, over the years, has completely kind of dismissed and ignored Monero and tried to pump Zcash makes me extremely suspicious. So I don't really, I think he's, yeah, he's just trying to uh, do a, a Bitcoin pump here. I, I don't know what his the backroom deal is that he has to to ensure that he doesn't lose that mill. But 
Well, I do think it's game on. I mean, there's almost no doubt here that it's it's game on for crypto. It's game on for the S&P 500, for the NASDAQ. In fact, um, one thing that was very interesting that happened this week is that um, so this is the NASDAQ divided by the S&P. So it's the ratio of how well they're doing. And this was basically the bottom of the bear market here. The NASDAQ has outperformed the S&P by 13%, which which is huge. Um, so you can see this is the long time frame right here. This was the top of the bull market. Uh, that was obviously the bottom of the bear market. So it's basically the NASDAQ has recovered half of what it lost relative to the S&P. So um, it does look like uh, tech stocks are, are back on. Um, there's another. We can look at a few more interesting charts here as well. Uh, if I can find them. Uh, here we go. Uh, so this is Bitcoin divided by the NASDAQ daily candles. So, um, you know, you can see this was obviously the, the first top. And then relative to the NASDAQ, Bitcoin actually did not make uh, a secondary high or it didn't make a it didn't make a new all time high relative to the NASDAQ. And then we've been in this bear market. The thing that's interesting is there's been kind of this like capping line right here. And Bitcoin just like totally, uh, totally smashed through that uh, this week. So uh, it does look like Bitcoin has relative strength to the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ has relative strength to the S&P, which is a good indication, again, that things are just game on. Uh, things are ready to, to be going to uh, to higher highs here. Uh, maybe not new all-time highs on the markets, but, you know, we, we should see positive action. Um, the S&P right now is having trouble specifically because the banking sector is having problems. Um, people are kind of worried about that. And the banks are all part of the S&P uh, 500 index, which is kind of like they're more like you're your stable corporations, your big corporations, stuff like that, um, whereas the NASDAQ is just tech stocks. So NASDAQ is already well on its way to trying to beat this um, this uh, this one spot right here, the, you know, the spot that we kind of uh, got rejected at. Um, so, yeah, I do expect, um, I mean, it, to me, it's just game on. Like, things are going to continue going up. The, it looks to me like they're trying to convince retail, trying to convince the plebs, like, hey, everybody get in the market. It's the new bull market. You've got this, you know, Balaji guy that's over here trying to, you know, get people into the market. And um, I, I don't believe it, though. Like, temporarily, I do. It looks to me like things are going to continue going up. Um, I'm basically almost totally in the market right here. But um, we still have the same, we still have kind of the same issues, the same problems. So, for example, uh, even though the balance sheet pumped uh, significantly, you can't see it on this chart yet. Um, but uh, uh, maybe, I don't know. I guess I don't have the Wednesday level. That, that's all right. Even though the balance sheet pumped significantly right here as of the past week, Within the next three months, that should all get paid back. Now, I don't know if they'll keep rolling that. I don't know how long the Fed is going to keep this discount window open. Um, but we also have the, the M2 money supply kind of took a little bump up um, starting in, in January. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. These numbers are delayed by like a month. Like uh, so, so, for example, you can see the last numbers we have here are for January and it's already March. So we're not even going to know what happened in February. Probably the M2 increase because the markets were going up. Um Let's see. The inflation numbers were um, middle of the road, kind of what was expected. Um, so the CPI came down um, as much as expected, but the core didn't come down. It, it was like slightly higher than they thought it would be, um, but it's still coming down. But you can see it's still kind of sticky. The, the core inflation is in blue here. And this is what the Federal Reserve actually looks at for making their decisions. Uh, one mistake I made last week is that I thought the Federal Reserve meeting was last week. I don't know why I thought that. Maybe I was looking at the wrong um at the wrong calendar, but at any rate, FOMC meeting is Wednesday of this upcoming week. So people aren't really sure what the Fed is going to do. The market, the market has been schizophrenic in a lot of ways lately, but I mean, of course, that's what happens with banking failures. So, um, 
the the ECB is going to raise their rates, or apparently they did raise rates, and so now the Fed is like, well, okay, we've got inflation, so we have to raise rates, but you know we can't like kill the banking system, so should we really raise rates? So, but we can't look like uh, we can't look like wimps, we can't look ineffective and raise by zero. Uh, so I think probably twenty five basis points would be maybe the the target expectation there, but it's it's actually it's more uncertain this week um, what the Fed is going to do in terms of raising rates than it has been in quite a while. Usually we know what the Fed is going to do, and they almost always do what the market expects. A um, couple more interesting things here. Uh, well, obviously, you know, forgetting let's we've talked enough about the um, the macro stuff, so we'll come back to this in a second. Gold and oil, some interesting things happen there, but uh, let's go to Monero so that we can understand um, what's happening with Monero. Um, so really not that much. Uh, Monero is not pumping with the rest of the market. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's mostly Bitcoin that's pumping actually. I mean, yes, the other coins are also kind of pumping as well. Um, we are kind of like going up. You can see, you know, we bounced, like we talked about, we hit that trend line last week and we bounced up off of that. And the, the best bet here is to expect a return to the top of the trend. If you're trading Monero, um, uh, I would imagine that, I mean, Monero is going to have positive action if the rest of the market has positive action. It would be really nice to actually break our bear market, like our final boss bear market trend line here. Um, so at a minimum, it, look, it looks at least like we've kind of um, you know hit that bottom. And you can see this dotted line that I've drawn here. Uh, that's been kind of a, a big spot for a while, right? Like, yeah, we've kind of dipped below it, but that dotted line has been kind of, that's probably like our real legitimate support, uh, like, hardcore support. Um, these dips down below it are just kind of like panic dumps when the market is panic dumping, things can temporarily go down there. And the other thing too is when, when the market's dumping, the exchanges like to try and um, hit Monero as hard as they can while it's dumping. But this dotted line right here to me is kind of like the real support line for Monero. So if things continue positive for the rest of the markets for the next few months, I would expect that Monero should finally break out of this line. I mean, that's typically, you know, you look at this action, you think, okay, we've got our line, we touch the line again, we touch the line again, oh, we almost break it, no, not quite, and then we're going to come back up here, like, you really, like, in, in charting, at least, this really is, it looks like it should break it, and sometimes it can take, take longer to do that than you hope, but um, obviously the ratio is not something that any of us are happy about at the moment, so yeah, we did kind of come down and revisit that 006 level, uh, and now uh, we've definitely broken that down, and again, um, this is another another signal where to me it's like okay Bitcoin has just massively pumped um, beyond everything else beyond the S and P beyond anything and that to me is basically mostly I mean yes it's driven by demand of course there's demand there but that's also driven by leverage because when there's real demand the market makers see that leverage they are sorry they see that demand incoming to their exchanges and they can just pump the price very quickly on the basis of real demand so that's what they're doing right now again it, it's all the same story in, in fact. It, it almost looks like the same kind of chart as when things were good here right before the bull market kicked off and then kind of down here to the level you expect a little bit pump and then like, and then they just tried to crush it, right? Looks almost like the same thing, but slightly smaller. So, you know, we did, we did well, things were good. Um, we came down here and thought, okay, that's a natural level to bounce off of. And then they just fucking crush it back down to the, to the downside, at least on the ratio. Now it's not that they're like, Hey, let's crush the ratio to the downside. It's more like, Hey, let's, you know, fraudulently pump Bitcoin with all this leverage that we have so that, um, you know, so that we can convince the plebs that it's game on again. If we go out to the zoomed out chart here, um, it does look to me like these lines down here, this guy and, uh, this other guy down here. These should be pretty good holding points. I, um, again, I don't expect this is the real bull market, but you know, um, so this is June right here. If you notice down here in June, 
Um, so we could spend some time down here. It looks like um, playing with these lines, right? We'll probably get here, maybe come down to this bottom line again. That's that's what the TA would say on this at the moment. Um, but these should hold. These should be very solid lines, especially um, especially since I don't think this is a real bull market. I do think that the macro still has problems. And as the bear market sort of reasserts itself, at least for a while um, later on this year, that should help Monero's price because without all the leverage, without all the bullshit pumping all the other coins and pumping Bitcoin, once that has to unwind, um, Monero's price, its organic price, shines through relative to these other coins. So we've also got the money run coming up on April 18th. So for anyone that's not aware, it's basically last year we were sick and tired of Binance and others fractionally reserving Monero, lying, saying that they had Monero when they didn't. So we all got together and said, hey, on April 18th, let's all mass withdraw and um, and make some purchases from Binance and or really all the exchanges, it doesn't matter, cracking any of them. Uh, withdrawing from any exchange helps significantly. And then, of course, you know, in the month leading up to that, all, all of us are sort of front running it, you know, doing it ahead of time. And, and then, of course, they all went down for withdrawals. Binance could barely keep their withdrawals open. So we do have a good chance to maybe like stop this uh, this downtrend right here. Um, let's see, where was the money run last year? Let's see if we can place it. The money run was, yeah, so let's just go to the daily so we can see this better. Uh, so there's, there's April. So technically April 18th was right here, but really people started, um, they kind of started doing this money run thing, um, early. So like in March, so this, this pump right here was significantly based on the, uh, the Monero run, the money run as we call it. So it's very possible that, um, that we could get some kind of nice bounce. The only, the only thing that I would say that's slightly a bummer is that so while everything was crashing and the banking contagion fears were were at max levels and everything was you know just doom um Binance in red here acquired a lot of Monero they diverged their prices about 1% higher half a percent to 1% higher than Kraken and then they did loads and loads of volume up there and just to give you an idea of how much that really is compared to any other time in the past zooming out here uh let's see that would be yeah that's February Oh, let's go to the 15-minute chart so we can look back a bit farther. Yeah, okay, so we're going all the way back here to December of last year, and you can see that this is just a huge spike up. Binance just did a massive spike up, which means to me that they acquired a lot of Monero. Um, so, again, continuing to go back, this is October, September. Um, the only other thing that we've seen that was kind of like this was when OKX diverged their prices and did a lot of volume. Even as Binance simultaneously went to the downside, I really... I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but I do think they're probably in some kind of cooperation. But the point of this chart is to say that it does look like Binance has acquired a, a reasonably decent sized stack of Monero, and they can probably use that to try and um, to try and not look like complete liars again, like they did last year during the money run. So, um, but still though, like we want to drain that liquidity from them. We want to get the word out. We because there's there's still people that don't know. I see it on Twitter. I see it on on. Uh, on Reddit when I'm on there now. Um, I'm not on Reddit too often anymore, but, um, but I, I see this everywhere. People are still like, a lot of people do think Binance is still legitimate. So we do need to get the word out. There are probably still Monero hodlers out there that think that Binance is fine. So, um, yeah, I mean, money run full steam ahead. It'll be the one year anniversary. April 18th is also the uh, birthday for Monero. So they've got this huge stack of Monero. You can see that, um, they've kind of been in negative price divergences, uh, ever since. Let's see here. Yeah, so they kind of after they like acquired that, they kind of went down to the downside a little bit, but really this isn't like anything too major. 
So, um, anyways, yeah, just, just know that's out there. Um, we've got the, uh, we've got the ratio that's probably going to have to come play around these, uh, very long-term support lines. Uh, it's kind of a bummer, you know, what are you going to do? Monero ETH, same kind of, uh, same kind of story. Uh, we broke down from the, the trend here and now we're, you know, there's kind of like this downtrend on the, um, on the standard deviations here. So that's not, uh, you know, obviously that doesn't make, make anyone too happy there, but, uh, that's, you know, it is what it is. So. Last thing is, um, we'll close things out with, uh, with gold, oil, and a little bit of macro stuff. So gold took some pretty major bounces. Um, you know, if you remember, we kind of came up, uh, here and my thinking was that we would end up to the top side of this and gold kind of surprised me by taking this big pullback and it pulled back even farther than I thought it would, um, even as the rest of the markets were pumping. But, uh, you know, with banking fears, people think, Hey, I need a sovereign asset, you know, gold, they, they recognize in 2008, yes, gold pulled back with the rest of the market when it crashed, but it stopped sooner. It recovered faster. And then it went on an epic run from 2008 to 2011. So my guess is people that's still quote unquote fresh in uh, investors minds. So gold took a really big pump here. Um, we'll have to see, you know, gold prices is, is also kind of manipulated. In fact, a lot of the same stuff they do with gold, they do with Monero. Uh, which is unsurprising, you know, Tether acts like the Federal Reserve the way that they, they back their assets and the way that they operate is like the Federal Reserve. So why wouldn't they pull the same tricks with suppression of gold that they do on Monero? They, they really do similar tactics there. Uh, but at any rate, I would expect gold to at least come visit the top of this range here. Um, that's still basically game on there. Um, overall, you can see we've got this very, very large rising triangle. Oops. Uh, we got this very large rising triangle here. Uh, and this is going to break to the upside at some point. The question is when it's a very long time frame. You can see that these lines don't even meet until 2025. Um, but if we're going to lead into a new bull market, and I do think that we eventually will either probably like next year will be the beginning of it. There'll probably be some major systemic risk. You know, we've got, so we've got the yield curve inversion. Um, if you guys remember, we've talked about the yield curve inversion uh, a number of times, and that is the pink line down here. Uh, let's quickly go to the weekly view just so we can take a, a quick view of that. Essentially, um, this is kind of my own, the pink line is my own sort of, um, proprietary calculation. I mean, it's not anything cosmic, so I, you know, it's not like intellectual property, but, um, at any rate, uh, it, it subtracts all of the different yields from all of the other different, um, yields to get a big broad view of how overall inverted is the market. And, uh, we basically got more inverted than we ever have been since, uh, since the ni- 1989. Um, and this has always signaled a recession. I think like maybe one time a yield curve inversion did not signal an upcoming recession, but it can take years. It, it really can. One of the things that I'll be looking at is you can see the white line here. The white line is the federal funds rate. And the thing before the markets start crashing is the federal funds rate gets totally above all of the rest of the rates. And then everything just starts like diving down. Everyone starts panicking from stocks back into bonds. So um, you can see that happened over here in 2000. It happened in 2008. And we're basically, uh, we are in the path to make that happen right now. This, uh, the federal funds rate, if they raise again, um, right, they'll probably raise again here. Uh, so the federal funds rate will end up somewhere here, maybe here. Meanwhile, all these other rates are down here. So we're kind of looking at a similar situation as we saw right here. But again, keep in mind that that's 2006 all the way to 2007. Um, let's see, that's May of 2006 to, uh, July of, of 2007. So th- this can last a year, right? There's no reason that the markets have to crash now. There's no reason that recession has to hit immediately. Um, but, uh, but this is a concern. This is a long-term concern. Uh, we do have the Federal Reserve still selling off their balance sheet, uh, overall and still raising rates. So like 
the, the Piper will come back to be paid later on this year, but at least for now, I still think it's, uh, it's game on and markets are going up. The very last thing that I want to show you here that's just interesting is that, um, oil broke down from this channel. Uh, so remember we talked about, we basically kind of want to, we want oil to be steady. We want it to be, um, we want it to stay in this channel. We don't want it to be doing crazy moves to the upside or downside. Uh, we want things overall for the markets to, to, um, you know, we, we really don't want to see it break down, but maybe this is kind of a good thing. Cause if you remember, we also said, if anything, we would prefer that oil bias slightly to the downside, cause that will help to reduce costs for producers, which ultimately will bring the inflation down, which ultimately gives the markets the opportunity to, um, you know, to pump again. Uh, because the Federal Reserve, you know, hopefully doesn't have to be so severe. So oil did break down from this. Um, I the chart would suggest that, you know, we have further down to go. Maybe uh, maybe like kind of this area right here would be a target. So, um, yeah, this is, I don't know, something to keep in mind there. It's not really too relevant to us, but, you know, it's a data point you kind of tuck away in your mind. So, um, oh, and then the overnight repurchase agreements are kind of just still trending sideways. Um, it I'm not really sure what to expect with this chart. Probably just continued sideways trend. Um, probably just, you know, kind of playing in this area right here. At this point, I'm not expecting this to break to the downside anymore. I thought it might for a while, but, um, I don't know who knows, right? It, it, it could potentially, but, uh, at any rate, um, yeah, that's the price report today. I, uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about. Hopefully I didn't uh, fly too fast on this one. A lot of things, <laughs> a lot man. Of a lot of stuff. Great job, man. Very, very comprehensive. Cool. Uh, and I guess we'll see what happens this week. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's no guarantees that things pump, you know, immediately, but overall, like for the upcoming weeks and or months, uh, it does look like we should see positive action. So you touched upon the money supply. Wasn't that, wasn't there some kind of like, uh, like a kind of a new low that was hit with the money supply? And, but I guess it ba- bounced back up. Yeah. So this is the M2 money stock right here. It's basically all, so M2 is all of M1 money plus, uh, so M1 is cash and coins, uh, and checking. Uh, so basically like immediate demand deposits. M2 is all time deposits of less than one year plus all of M1. So it's kind of like all of the liquid cash available, uh, in the market or liquid dollars available in the system. So we've basically been on a downtrend. You can see since, um, what would that be? Really since 2022, right? So that, that's actually March of 2022. Uh, it's been on a downtrend. So we saw kind of this tick up right here, but we're not, this is all delayed. You can see the last data that we have is from uh is from January. So, you know, we're we're over here in in March and uh we don't have any of this data yet. So, I, I need to try and look this up. That I haven't been able to find a Wednesday level like a weekly report on the M2 money stock. Um like for example, uh you do see that here in um actually let's go over here. So, you do see that here in the total assets on the Federal Reserve balance sheet, which is different from the M2. So, this is shot up. I assume that that will be reflected in the M2 money as well. I, I have to believe that um, because of the the relative bullishness we've seen over the past couple months and then now the recent action on the Federal Reserve balance sheet, I have to assume that this is going up. There's got to be some kind of like weekly report on this number. I just haven't been able to find it yet. So if anyone out there like knows what that is, please hit me up. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to quickly move ahead because we have a – Still have a very <laughs> long show. Long show ahead of us. <laughs> it's um, like our conference. We got the whole, <laughs> the whole M ordinals, NFTs on Monero topic to cover, which hopefully Bonnie can stick around for that. That's going to be, I'm sure. I'll try. Fun. I might actually be able to now with the time change. I have an extra hour with you guys that I didn't think I had. So yeah. awesome. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Stick around. All right. Thank you so much. Guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Right. Thank you, Bonnie. All right. So. We will try to quickly do the news. 
the Monerotopia Weekly News segment is sponsored by IVPN. Use a VPN to help prevent your online activity from becoming a permanent record. IVPN encrypts your data and DNS requests so your ISP or mobile network provider cannot monitor or log your online activity. Purchase an IVPN service today anonymously with Monero. Uh, all right, so the news. There's, there, we could do like a whole, there could be a whole separate podcast just on what's going on in terms of CBDCs and all that jazz around the world. I mean, it's just ramping up week to week. It's getting insane. First story, Euro- European Parliament votes to form final law on EU digital wallet. Introduced in 2021, the European Digital Identity Framework aims to enable and protect the digital identity of EU citizens. So this isn't a CBDC story. This is a digital wallet story, digital IDs. European lawmakers are moving forward with the introduction of a European Union-wide digital wallet by passing a uh, plenary vote on moving to the initiative to inter-institute Interinstitutional negotiations. The European Parliament on March 15 voted in favor of negotiating a mandate for talks with the EU member states on revisions of the new European Union digital identity framework. So they're looking to uh, basically move towards creating these digital IDs that will be issued by the EU. This is all part of the paradigm that people are, are concerned about, right? A, a world where everybody's using CBDCs in combination with state-issued digital IDs and all the potential dystopia that can stem from that. Uh, it's happening. It's moving forward. Digital IDs are on the horizon. As um, uh, This is an interesting part. As previously reported, it, the ITRE included the st- standard of zero-knowledge proofs in its IEID amendments, intending to allow EU citizens to fully control their identity data. Uh, so, I don't know. I guess this is developing. We'll see what the European Union's digital ID end up looking like, but uh, I think we're all kind of concerned about the worst-case potential for it. Next story, Federal Reserve confirms July launch of FedNow. So, uh, another step in the direction of Control by the state. Yes, Sunita. Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> Apparently, I can tell. Shouldn't it just share the tabs yeah, as but I it move over? Happen. No, yes, yeah, okay. Federal Reserve confirms July launch for FedNow Instant Payment Service. The FedNow service aims to reduce the gap in a payment time between United States and Finland. So, uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. I certainly didn't have my eye on this. The fact that there was going to be a FedNow Instant Payment Service that was that that, that was going to be launched, and it's it's only months away. Everybody has been talking about the development of CBDCs. Uh, meanwhile, they've been developing and are about to launch a FedNow Instant Payment Service. The United States Federal Reserve has confirmed a July launch date for its long-awaited instant payment system seen by some as an alternative to central bank digital currencies and stable coins. The instant payment network will settle payments in seconds. It can support some tra- transactions between consumers, merchants, and banks. It does not rely on blockchain technology. So this this isn't a CBDC of, in, in, in any way. It's a significant step for the government and it is controlled by the Federal Reserve. Clearinghouse RTP network, which also offers real-time payments, is operated by Quince. Uh, consortium of large banks. According to the March 15th announcement, the U.S. Fed said that the debut of the Fed now is set for July with the U.S. Treasury and a diverse mix of financial institutions of all sizes ready to use the network from launch. Um, Nick Carter chimed in, if you like 
bank runs in the age of social media, you're going to love bank runs in the age of Fed now. So with Fed now being in place, uh, there's a concern that people will be able to uh, uh, directly, essentially, or uh, pull pull their money out of the system. FedNow was announced in 2019 and will provide around-the-clock, real-time gross settlement for funding commercial bank money from a sender through a Fed credit account to its rep- to its recipient. It also has built-in features such as fraud risk management. Following the official launch, the Federal Reserve outlined that it will push to onboard as many as as many as financial institutions as possible in order to increase the available of instant payments. Um, I don't know, guys. I don't really know much about this. It's interesting to see how quickly it's developing, how fast, but the Fed is basically implementing a system that's going to allow them to, you know, issue money to di- directly to the banks and institutions that will be participating in the system uh, in a direct and instant manner. Um, and we will see what it leads to. Uh, it's not to be confused with the CBDC, but I guess the concern is that maybe this can be what the feds hope the CBDC would be. Uh, you, you know, we're seeing pushback against the, the concept of CBDCs. Um, we're hearing voices in Congress that are opposed to a CBDC that would be launched by the fed. And so, uh, in turn, the Fed is is launching this, and does it then evolve into essentially a effectively a CBDC, so not blockchain based, but does this effectively become the the you know direct to Fed system uh, that ends up uh, tying in you know wallets that that end users people are using to to directly interact with the Fed? I don't I don't know. But maybe that is the direction things are going. Um, to that end, we had, to that end, we had chair. did go out for comments on to the uh, expect we'll, I can't give you, well, certainly we engage with the public on an ongoing, yeah. we are, we're also. I'm aware of the, the Boston Fed has a partnership there. Uh, the Hamilton project over there with the lab, they're doing a great job. But it says here that the discussions with, uh, technical experiment at what level are you talking about? Making decisions on architecture. We're not, we're not at our early, really, but we're making progress. The policy, we haven't just, so that's going to be. Right. Well, I think I speak chairman as well. would love to have more dialogue with the Fed on, on that as well and make sure that Congress is up to. Uh, let me switch over to uh, Fed now. There are some <clears throat> champions of uh, digital currency and stable coins in, that uh, cite the need for faster payments. However, was earlier mentioned, the Fed now is the Fed is working on to finalize. It will allow for payments between bank. The Fed has a target for Fed now July on the corner. Uh, do you see any reason why cryptocurrency provide faster payments? Fed now uh, offer the transparency of Fed now. Would it offer uh, touting what Fed now will all the bank, the big one will offer in real time to their customer? That's that's a great thing. You know, a C can get this. We'll have real very very. It is. You know, I do have an overriding question, and that is, you know, before the greenback, uh, everybody had their own currency, rail com- rail companies. You had coal companies that were authorized, but when the greenback came. Uh, all of those various currencies went to zero because everyone had the greenback had the full faith and credit. I'm worried about a lot of the uh, stable coins and other cryptocurrencies. Uh, do they go to zero? We come up with that has faith. In, we've got thousands of these out there. You've got people investing millions and millions of dollars, well, trillions. Uh, and I'm just thinking if we had those those advantages built into 
wouldn't those alternatives did not have the unbet don't have any have never unstable coins many of them drawing on the dollar their dollar didn't gentleman's right. time has expired the gentleman from missouri mr luke myers recognized for five minutes the unback unback stable coins bad you know that's the putting into the category of that that's or unbacked cryptos bad cryptos that have have no native value things like uh, i guess uh, bitcoin and, and and monero are bad um cbdc's coming to the, to the rescue replacing uh you know uh what we're currently seeing as as the stable coins that the market is providing uh and at the same time we have fed now system that nobody saw coming that's going to be in place with a matter of a matter of months that isn't isn't a cbdc um but is going to make make it a lot more efficient for the fed to essentially interact interact with banks sending money instantly i don't know i guess uh i guess we could we could save this for for the spaces i don't really have i don't really know what to say at all this is all moving very fast uh i i mean, I mean you know you could see you could see the congress itself doesn't really have a good handle on, what, on what's going on here the Fed is just charging ahead now with its FedNow system. CBDCs seems to be a, lo- a long, a long way out. Uh, FedNow is being slipped through the door overnight. So we will see. We'll just see what all that, that all means. Perhaps one of the uh, most staunch, um, you know, uh, adversaries to to the implementation of a Fed CBDC central uh, central. U.S. CBDC is Congressman Tom Emmer. He's been very vocal. He's been vocal, uh, uh, vocally opposed to the concept of the Fed uh, creating a CBDC. He doesn't think that, you know, essentially the Fed should have the power to do so. He recently had some uh, interesting words to say about all this. Submitted online anonymously, and that's going to be the one question quota that I was given. Um, this is... I find I think I like this one. Here we go. Um, the Fed is clearly. I'm just reading this. Okay. <laughs> the Fed has clearly indicated that a decision to issue a CBDC would be a decision for Congress, and that it has no intention of issuing a CBDC without authorization from Congress. Therefore, why do we need a bill to tell the Fed to do something? To, to tell I'm sorry to tell the Fed to not do something it was never planning on doing. He was never planning on doing. Whoever sent that in, I, I really appreciate it, and I understand their logic. But they are assuming that there are good actors in this space and that what they are hearing from these unelected bureaucrats who are saying there's nothing to see here. It's all good. We need to have uh, permission. It's interesting. The Federal Reserve issued uh, some uh, documents recently that my staff was provided. I uh, just showed up at one of their uh, events, and they have a uh, a, a slide, I would say, or in this deck, where it lists what the Federal Reserve is responsible for. It's responsible for uh, the money supply. It's responsible for the two-tier rails of the banking system, uh, the overnight window, those types of things that we're used to, right? You know what the bullet point was at the bottom? Central bank digital currency. They're putting it out in their own materials today, and they have no authority. They have not been directed by Congress to do a thing. Let's understand that what they say is not necessarily what they're doing.
You are dealing with central bankers around the world, which I am not opposed to the central banking system. But the idea, and I, I think these people literally looked at this uh, more than a decade ago and said, oh, look at those kids that are playing with this Satoshi white paper. And isn't that fun? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like gaming, right? Virtual gaming. It's virtual money. It's never going to go anywhere. And oops, then it started gaining some traction because people don't trust the way our money supply has been handled. They don't trust our monetary policies. They're worried about what our government is failing to do to ensure stability and a prosperous future. So what do they do? It starts to grow. And what do these bureaucrats do? They go, and by the way, bureaucrats with their partners in the private sector who are using the existing two-tier uh, banking system and want to protect it because that's their market share, they went, well, now we got to kill it. And so they started taking actions to try and knock this train off the tracks, and they found out much what the Chinese found out. By the way, uh, Chinese, you can't mind, they haven't been able to shut it all down. If they can't shut it down, nobody's going to shut it down. So they realized at some point, I can't, one, it's here, and it's not going away. Two, I can't shut it down, so guess what I'm going to do now? I'm going to swallow it up and make it part of what we run, because then we will control it. Uh, that's the innocent way of looking at it. The not-so-innocent way of looking at it is when people say to me, yeah, I know what you keep saying about the uh, digital yuan and how they use that to control the population. They turn your card on. They turn your card off. Uh, you have the outbreak in Wuhan. You can't pay for a hotel room. You can't buy transportation out of there. In fact, they will tell you when you can go to the grocery store because they'll turn on your uh, your card. That will never happen here in the Western Hemisphere. Anybody familiar with Justin Trudeau and what he did to shut down the uh, protests up in Ottawa? He did exactly that. I, I And again, I appreciate the question. I appreciate uh, that somebody is asking what is legitimate. You know, if Congress has the authority and they're, they're the only way that this can happen, well, if you want to just assume people are going to do the things that you expect them to do, you do that at your own risk. I, I look at it this way. They are already moving in this direction. They already have friends of ours, people who believe in individual liberty and freedom, the right to self-determine, who think this is a good idea. It's. I, I just want to remind you uh, two different things, but in the early 1970s, they created something called FISA courts. These were special courts that were created by Congress for what? To surveil foreign nationals that might be up to no good on American soil. And you know what the argument was made back in the 70s? I wasn't there. I was a kid. I was actually having fun. The argument back then was made, it will never be used to spy on American citizens. I rest my case. Thank you, guys. Enjoy it. All right. So Tom Emmer coming out strong. Um, I think he recently uh, issued a letter as well to, to that effect. Um staunchly against the issuance of CBDCs by the Fed. It's all shaping up to be quite the quite the battle. Uh the Fed versus, you know, people like Tom Emmer who are sounding the alarm bells to what the potential of a CBDC might might mean in terms of uh essentially taking taking away people's some some people's people's basic rights. Uh, and pointing to examples of, uh, where we're already seeing it in, in China. Um, I, 
I'm, I, I, I don't know. Nobody knows where all this is going. I think what's, what's most interesting is we're basically seeing a competition over, you know, what the future of money is going to be, right? So it's things like Bitcoin and Monero versus, uh, CBDCs, which are being issued by the central banks. And then you have, you know, um, those that are looking out for citizens' rights, like Tom Emmer, that are, that are fighting against these, uh, these, uh, centralized issued uh, options versus allowing true open source protocols to be adopted. And there's obviously there's, there's going to be, there's going to be winners. There's going to be losers. I think the, the end of the day, there's, there's going to be some combination of all, right. We're going to, ha- we're going to have CBDCs. They're going to be here. Uh, we know for sure that true crypto blockchain based crypto is not going away. They're going to exist for sure. What the uh, environment end result is going to look like in terms of uh, which things are used the most and where the power really lies, uh, it's it, nobody can determine at this point. Uh, but obviously, we're we're rooting for things like Bitcoin and Monero. Um, there's a I'm going to play this. We're going to end with uh, this last clip from from Tom Emmer on just the topic of not so much CBDCs. But he's concerned, you know, that as as part of this, as part of this trying to usher in CBDCs, that there is there is a an an active fight against true crypto that's taking place, um, and that there, you know, there is this this active uh, actions that are being taken essentially behind the scenes to cut off crypto and prevent it from growing. Um, what we've seen in the last week is, is if anything, perhaps having the opposite effect. But I think it's a, it's an interesting theory. More importantly, uh, Neil, why is our government going after uh, the crypto uh, business? Uh, Signature, they, they initially announced that the, the issue was they were banking crypto and making loans. They weren't. They were just banking crypto, and even the uh, the New York Financial Services uh, Department, the head of that, has acknowledged crypto had nothing to do with Signature. Barney Frank, Barney Frank, the former chair of the House Financial Services Committee, has said uh, it appears that this is an attack on crypto. Uh, in fact, two sources have told Reuters that anybody who buys Signature has to agree they will not bank crypto. So it's really interesting, Neil. More questions to be uh, answered. If you look at the Fed, which just announced that this summer it's going to release or going to kick off its FedNow program, which is a payment system that would settle payments within seconds. It's interesting. Is our government competing with the private sector right now? And are these banks that are banking crypto uh, actually the target of, uh, of their uh, their angst? That's a fascinating, you know, laying out that theory right there. Right. So that the government is competing with the, you know, uh, private industry. Crypto, crypto naturally is blossoming out organically, uh, but the government is is taking steps to try to put a cap on it, and Tom Emmer is on top of it. So that that's exciting. It's 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 promising to see that we have somebody like Tom Emmer out there. Whether you agree with his other policies and things that he speaks of, at least he's he's out there staunchly speaking out against um, the government's attempt to squash true crypto and not allowing it to compete in the open market. So that is the end of the news for today. We have other stories, but for the purposes of keeping the show moving ahead, we're going to move on to the dev segment.
And now for the Monero development segment. There you go. We made a new one. <laughs> it looks great. <laughs> Digo, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? So we got Digo, who's going to cover cover the topic of M ordinals, kind of give us a quick overview. Mm-hmm. And then we have a bunch of other, a few other uh, heavy hitters that are going to jump up uh, and give their insights. We have Justin. We have uh, Off Offrin XMR. I don't know. I don't know how to how to pronounce his his handle there. And then we have MB. MB, who's jumping on. Um, so, yeah, if you want to quickly kind of run us through mm-hmm. review, and then I'd love to have these other guys jump up and give their different takes, and we can get a good handle on the situation. Oh yeah, so like um like Doug said, this plans I plan for this to be a quick speed run of like the technicals. It, it, it's, it's not going to be. I try to be un, unbiased as possible, just give you the technicals on how. A Monero NFTs or Monero Ordinals work, so that's my goal here. I, I expect the people after me to give their, you know, opinions on what should happen about it. But basically, we're here talking about Monero NFTs again, but someone's actually built them. And before we get started, shout out to Body. I he has been having some great conversations on Twitter. I want to give a shout out to them. They definitely inspired some of the talking points in this, so I want to give them due credit. So let's get into it. Um, so Monero built NFTs on Monero. Um, they're not be confused with the core dev that has like a similar sounding name. This is a completely new person. No one, at least no one publicly knows who they are. And basically how these, um, NFTs or more knows where you want to call them work. They basically put, um, information in TX extra and it's, it's surprisingly cheap. I remember looking at this transaction was like less than like a dollar in like Monero fees actually. So basically all they do, they literally just put, an image, a GIF, and the TX Extra, which we covered in like a month ago when we talked about this. And they also have a beautiful design that allows you to send them, which is, I've never seen something like this before. It's really cool. So you can actually send these NFTs. They have all this information on their website also. And this protocol is very new. I think the GitHub, the first commit was like, I think like three weeks ago. So very new. So it might change. It might grow or, or it might not grow. It might get shut down. I don't know. I'm just giving you the facts as they lay. Um, and technically speaking, you can't stop NFTs on a technical level. Basically, if long, as long as you can store data on Monero, you can store data in many different ways. And there's basically no way to stop it on a technical level from happening. So that's just a technical fact. You cannot prevent someone from putting arbitrary data on a blockchain. That's just the facts as they are. Um, but what we can do, we can make the data storage expensive, right? So you, you can't stop them from storing data, but you can make it super expensive to store data on the blockchain. That's one approach to sort of prevent these things. If you believe they should be prevented, try and stay unbiased here. <laughs> um, there are a ton of proposed solutions. Some include removing TX extra completely. Some include mandating a encryption on it by default, making it a certain length. It's just, there are a lot of conversations happening in this specific solution set. Is often discussed, I think, every week on the TX Extra debate or discussion, not debate, that goes on the Monero core devs. And stopping any time is a little confusing. I'm trying to do a speed run, so I might leave some things out. Yeah, no, no, keep keep going because there's, there's right. a lot to cover here, and then we'll we'll get we'll get MB up here and offering XMR, uh, and we're trying to get Justin up. He was in here, but he he disappeared. He put out a, a really good thread, kind of. Oh yeah. Covering it all, so we'll try to get him up as well to to talk about it. But go ahead. Um, like I said, speaking of that threat, um, currently there, 
these um, NFTs and more nodes are not a threat to the privacy of Monero because um, the people say that they are in the future they might be a, a larger threat because they become more popular. And but right now they're so small there's it's like it's just not a big threat. I think like there was like three hundred made, I think, maybe like a hundred, somewhere in a magnitude of like no more than five hundred made. So right now they, they make up such a small portion of the Monero transactions. So I think last time I checked it was like maybe three thousand or maybe thirty four thousand Monero transactions a day. So currently not a big issue. Might be a threat in the future though. And if you want any more info about this technical happenings, you can um, tune into the Monero Research Lab meeting. I think it happens every week. So you can literally see people like Arctic Mine, Rucknum. I think Justin's in there talk about this issue. So you want more information that's there. And like Doug said, let's get on to the guests. I think we might have Justin and of XMR. But yeah, I'm going to pass it back to you, Doug. Awesome. Thank you. Great overview. I mean, we should say, Digun, I you did a presentation on NFTs on Monero what was it, two months ago? It was, yeah. it, was, it was some time ago. We had it, you know, we talked about the theoretically the ability for it to be done. And uh, I think we, we got some pushback at the time when you presented it. And yeah. here we are. Uh, it's no longer theoretical. Somebody has attempted to do it. My, my first question to you, and I guess let's, let's get the other guys up here, those that are up. Um, they're calling it you know, M ordinals, my understanding, ordinal, you know, there, there's ordinals and inscri- as the, the, the lingo used in Bitcoin land, right? There's ordinals mm-hmm. and then there's inscription. Inscriptions are, are what we're calling these NFTs, right? Saving, uh, data on the chain in mm-hmm. a unique way and, you know, associating a Satoshi with, with that data that's being saved. And then when you essentially you send it, you're, you're sending ownership of that, of that piece of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then inscriptions, inscriptions are basically a, a serial number system that's being essentially laid on top of Bitcoin, right? Where every Satoshi has its own unique serial number. Mm-hmm. Are M ordinals? Essentially, does it have its own serial number system for, you know, for, for Monero or, or is that, is that something different? Why, why are they being pointing? Cause that's my understanding of what ordinals are. Do you, uh, are, do you have insight into that? And maybe, maybe the other guys that are, that are, maybe the other pe- people are the experts, but I, I do know that technically Satoshis don't have serial numbers technically. Well, no, the, Satoshi, the, yeah. the ordinal system, they, you know, uh, the Satoshis themselves mm-hmm. don't. But yeah, the ordinal system basically overlays these serial numbers on top of it, right? It's a separately yeah. running software that uh, overlays serial numbers essentially on top of each Satoshi from the from the the genesis block on onward. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're calling M ordinals in Monero land, I assume, is not doing the same thing. But maybe maybe it, others can chime in on that. it. Does it? But you have to opt into it essentially. Okay. Yeah. Let's um. Yeah. Let's let's get Digoon up here. Digoon here. I mean, let's get, uh, let's get, let's get, let's get back M- on again. Let's okay. Let's get MB right. up here and offer an XMR. The Monerotopia guest segment is sponsored by Cake Wallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. Hello, hello. MB, what's hello. up? Is my audio good? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for patiently waiting. The champ is here. <laughs> the champ is here. <laughs> What's up, man? How's Thank you guys for, for doing this. Uh, this is obviously a hot topic. Uh, I asked you guys because I saw you were, you, were, you were pretty involved. MB, I know you were 
actually, I think, playing around with this, making making some of these uh, NFTs on Monero. Offering, I don't know, were you, were you messing around with it as well? I played the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so what what can you guys tell us about it? I mean, my, my, my question there, is it so is this analogous to the ordinals system we saw in Bitcoin, or is this something different? I'd argue it's worse because it can be used right now currently to expand the blockchain because we have dynamic blocks. Okay. Yeah, within the span of 100 blocks, you, we could be sitting at 30 MB blocks or bigger. Yep. Okay, and, but just for, for my to back up for my understanding with ordinals, basically uh, allocating a serial number for each individual Satoshi, is that is there something similar going on here with Monero, or it's just that that's not the case? So in oh. Monero, every transaction has what's called TX Extra, and TX Extra is basically well, I've been referring to it as TX Juncture. It's just a place where we put stuff that doesn't have dedicated fields and that basically anybody can put whatever they want in it. So we've used it for soft forks before. Currently, there's uh, public keys in there and sub address. And really, all these things should have their own dedicated fields. In Seraphis, they do. But right now, we have TX Extra, which everything is just stuffed into. And that's where you put the NFT. So it's not on each Pico Nero, but on each transaction. Okay. Yeah. So it's 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 not it's not as Body's chiming in here. They use a f- uh, first in first out. The serial number. Uh, these aren't ordinals. Body's saying these aren't ordinals per se. It's just cheeky to call them M ordinals. So they're they're really not uh, analogous to Bitcoin ordinals. But what we I are th- seeing here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I think you inscribe them like onto a Monero output. Like you make. I'm pretty sure you use one that is 0.00001 XMR, and it is basically what you assign it to. And this is the TX extra field, uh, and this is where the data goes for the. We, we like, like I'm trying. Um, I like to call them mobs because it's funnier. And uh, this whole thing, mordinals, um, probably like an. It's often. Uh, how would you say it? It's like a, a joke. Or something. It's, I, I yeah, don't think the it, guy behind it, us. Whoever, whoever is doing this stuff, like, we'll upload memes and stuff, and then they upload all this junk. And this is just nonsense. This is just spamming. Whatever this nonsense is, is just spamming the network. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I'm not, I'm not okay with uploading memes either. But you know, for going to have fun, we're going to do it the right way. <laughs> yeah, give it a cool name that's actually memeable, like the yeah, whole upload, 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 like you know, Monerotopia conference uh advertisements pictures just yeah let's see that i want to see the monerotopia one can you pull it up um so i think the explorer is currently slightly broken you gotta be a <laughs> little... no but that's another thing you gotta be a little bit careful because people are uploading not safe for work stuff on yeah so what i do have this is the transaction um i minted something uh and was it yesterday um it cost me i was able to share it. Oh. There you go. oh yeah so somebody somebody uploaded this. What well, wasn't us? We swear. Um, <laughs> and you know, for the sake of not propelling this further, I'm, I'm not I'm not looking to purchase Monero NFT. Although it is intriguing. See, that's the problem. This is this is very intriguing, right? Um, it, this this plays. I NFTs are. I, I'm 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 interested in obviously the digital cash aspects of crypto. That that is by far what interests me the most. Uh, I do see potential use cases for NFTs. I've, I've always said that. I've always think they've, they've been, they're an interesting concept and they're here to stay and they're going to be used in very interesting ways. I just think what, uh, what the market hasn't, uh, you know, 
um, figured out is what, you know, where NFTs are ultimately going to reside, right? So it's really about them being built on a chain that's going to be here to stay, which is why I thought ordinals were actually, or, or inscriptions on Bitcoin were actually interesting. For me, that kind of made NFTs interesting to me for the first time because here they are natively built on Bitcoin and we know Bitcoin is here to stay. So a, a native Bitcoin NFT does seem like a very interesting and, and valuable thing. Uh, and, and, and a Monero NFT in theory, uh, would, would see, I, I would personally be okay with it, but not if in any way it begins to eat into Monero's fungibility and privacy and use as digital cash. And my understanding is certainly in this current implementation that it is going to have that negative effect. Is that correct? Yeah. Even if, in any implementation, really, because where it was said earlier that if you like it doesn't hurt privacy, that's not true. Because when you when you build a transaction, you build decoys, and your decoys are other transactions. If those other transactions are known to be NFTs, and let's say let's say worst case scenario, you have fifteen ring members that are all NFTs. It's obvious which one's the true spend. It's the one that isn't an NFT. So right. So as NFTs are 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 produced more and used more, as Justin's saying, if we go over whatever, if ten percent of uh, of all transactions are these M ordinals, then we're starting to run into an issue. Yeah, and it's not really a hypothetical because if you look at Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain has exploded. Like there's 150 plus blocks waiting every day, nonstop, because it's mostly ordinal. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'd probably say less than 5% of the, less, less than 5% of the volume, less than 5% of the space on the blockchain that's being used for Bitcoin is for actual transaction. Now, how about to Digun's point that is, you know, people will, will find a way, right? So even if TX Extra is deprecated, there'll be some other way of doing it and perhaps in a way that's even more damaging to. Well, they have to have a lot of money to do that. Because, like, if you do the math on it, like, right now, you can store a, a 4K video on the blockchain. Well, first, you have to start off a little smaller to inflate the blocks. But you can get away with doing it for probably less than 2000 bucks. Mm-hmm. If you get rid of TX Extra, it costs probably millions to to to, to, to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that that's... So is that the way is, you think that's the direction we ultimately head in that we uh, eliminate deprecate TX extra or I've heard other discussions being that, you know, we make TX extra, um, I guess, uh, a cap, cap the size of it and encrypt it. So they all, well, all TX extras are analogous. The or, thing about capping the size of it is, is like Digu said, I'll find a way around that. And it's easy to do that. All you have to do is add a little identifier to each one of them and tie them together and then have the software string them back together into an image. Like you can use five transactions instead of one. It's just going to, it's an instant. I have no problem with, with lowering it right now though, because it's still an increased cost, right? So right as it is, like basically unlimited, it's, it's not, it's not good. So limiting it is, is a good idea. But yeah, so, what, but yeah, what would, what would be your most like, idea? No, that, that's what I'm saying. So my, is down the road when it comes to Seraphis or full membership proofs, these things might not be a problem for fungibility. There might be ways to split them from rings entirely in the full membership proof so that they're not mixed into regular transactions. So they're not lowering your, your, your anonymity set. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's solutions that can be had to support them, not, not necessarily support them, but to a, a, allow them without damaging 
the primary use case of the blockchain and without hurting, like, that's the biggest thing is node runners. So if, if I'm running a node, that, that's, that's going to eat up all my storage space and nobody wants to pay for storage space. You're not getting paid to run a node. Nobody wants to run nodes to store your NFT or, or like I'm saying, to store your 4K videos after somebody decides to start uploading 60 frames per second just by sending 60 transactions per second. So solution, but, the, but these solutions are, are, are down the road, right? Seraphis potentially, uh, solves this problem, right? Yeah. So, that's, that's so my, my immediate, my immediate, like what, what I feel we should be doing is limiting it immediately. And then at the next hard fork, removing it. And then the hard fork after that should be Seraphis. And by then we should be able to add it back and figure out what, like the better ways to do it. Hopefully we got the full membership proof figured out by then. We got the rings, like the segregation of the rings figured out in a way that doesn't hurt privacy or create separate pools of, of, of transactions. So, so limit it, then remove it. And then, uh, bring in Seraphis and it could, it could then re-blossom yeah. with that, with that, that new tech in a way that's not damaging to Monero's fundability. Yeah. And then another big thing is if like transaction volume, regular, regular real transaction volume was to explode, then it wouldn't be this bad either. But because transaction volume is so low, mm-hmm. it's real easy to, you know what I mean? Like the amount of NFTs going out on Bitcoin is, is multitudes higher than the amount of transactions. Right. Yeah. If this, if this were to take off, it would be, yeah, it'd be a problem. damaging overnight. Yeah. And be, like I'm saying, particularly for node runners, which means that it's, that's, that's who's hurting, it's hurting the blockchain itself. Because if, if say I have 500 gigabytes, um, like storage dedicated to my partition for my node and it's only 150 right now, but by the end of the month it's 500, my node's going to go down. Mm-hmm. MB, do you have a, a similar take on this? Yeah, I agree that it shouldn't be there the way it is right now, at least. Um, definitely should be limited. I know that some legitimate use cases exist for it, but I think they could find other ways around it to still keep existing. I'm, I think, um, sub addresses currently use TX extra and yeah. anything else? Uh, TX pub keys, but that's another thing is even with sub addresses in TX extra, if you send it, if you send a transaction to more than three outputs, TX extra will fingerprint whether or not one of those outputs was a sub addresser. I mean, so it's TX, like sub addresses are only in TX extra because they were added in a soft fork and they've never been moved. They've never been made. They're not by, by consensus. What are the other potential damaging effects, though, of moving TX Extra. I mean, we have, I know, like, the Sarai project that's being developed, I believe, is relying on the fact that TX Extra exists, right? It's it's how it's going to function. Um, I have nothing against Sarai or Kaya, but Sarai itself, it, it, it plans on posting view keys to the blockchain. So even if the TX Extra from Sarai looks like every, every other one, and even if they didn't use TX Extra, posting the view keys is kind of damaging itself. So I'm not in the party of we need that. And it's just, you know, I'm biased. I don't, I don't, I don't really care for exchanges or swaps or I'm a Monero guy. And as far as adding an exchange so that I can swap into whatever coin and damage Monero at the same time is not like in my ideals. Do you see any then means for Monero integrating with decentralized exchanges? Is there other, other, other architectures that can be like, put in place? Yeah, like BISC and BISC, Havano, they don't, they don't use TX Extra. They don't post people. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, local Monero works just fine. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Not sure if basic swap decks uses view keys. Um, takes extra. Not sure for their atomic swaps. Yeah. No, um, I remember, I remember somebody asked if atomic swaps use TXX and they, no, they, they weren't, at least the commit protocol wasn't. Okay. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have, uh, Kaiban, he'll, he'll be at Monerotopia, so I'm sure this will be a topic of conversation, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about this there. Yeah. And one of and my big things with Kai and Sarai is, like, this, this route works. Like, because it's implementable, like, it's like, you know, there's a Bitcoin developer that came out and said, stop, you're cheating and lying to the code. Like, you're not cheating and lying to the code if it's a feature that's there and available for you to use. It's there. So, so he, he designed his, his, his exchange around features that were there and available to use, right? Mm-hmm. So, but if they're not there or say we do need a full membership proof or whatever, then there has to be real solutions, right? You can't just stuff everything in the junk drawer. What does this mean over, overall, though, for the ecosystem where people are, you know, relying on the protocol to, to, to build things and then, you know, the, the protocol changes in a way where their solutions are, are deprecated along with the, the changes? Well, I made that argument maybe a week ago that we should do something before we start rug pulling people. Cause if we start letting people build, build like, corporations or companies or like entrepreneurs that dedicated time and research into this stuff. And then we're just going to come and be like, Hey, you can't do that. And then, then hard fork on like, like we got to do it right. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it's going to be supported, we have to support it properly. Not just in a way that's like, Hey, I, you know, it might hurt a little bit, but just, you know, we don't know how bad it could be. It's not going to be, it's like when Zcash was saying, Oh, uh, the volume's not that bad, so we don't have to worry about spam. And then they get hit with spam, and they're like, uh-oh. You know, like, we're not supposed to be reactive. We're supposed to get it done right first, right? And that's what I'm saying. I don't like the fact that sub-addresses are still in, in TX Extra and that integrated addresses are depreciated, but there's still people out there using them, and those hurt privacy too. You know, like, these things are these are things that we've hard-forked a few times since they were implemented, and they haven't been properly put where they're supposed to be. And I understand a lot of the work has been focused on Seraphis and everything else. Like, like I said, in Seraphis, the stuff is where it's supposed to be. But, you know, we still need to focus on the core protocol because it's not going to be too great if somebody decides to start uploading movies to the blockchain. Unless the good thing about uploading movies to the blockchain <laughs> is for miners, when those blocks are getting that big and those people are paying all those fees, you know, it could become profitable. But that's a number to go up game. And I don't care about that. Same here, same here. Monerotopia is going to be even more interesting than <laughs> than I had hoped. I mean, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of a lot of convo going on there. We're gonna have, we're gonna have Co there. I, I would love to hear kind of Co's take on these things. I'm sure. What what is Co saying in in the in the dev dev chats? Do you know? Co is for limiting it, but Co at the same time he's focused on Seraphis and he's. I'm speaking. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. But I'm pretty sure he's sick and tired of going back and forth over the conversation because it's been two years. You know, it's been an argument going back and forth for over two years now. And does does Co want to take the same approach as you, limit it, and then completely deprecate it? No, he just he he's he he wants us to come to consensus. So his his highest vote is to is to limit it. And okay, I don't know. How about uh, Monero Monero Moo? What what is what is he saying? Moo originally said remove it and uh, remove it or same same thing like everybody was voting for two different options. So they're either voting remove and or limit it or limit it and or remove. So Moo was in those same groups. Moo was, Moo was either remove it or limit it. 
and with optional encryption and length and whatever. But I'm like, that limited option is just people making compromises. I'm not, you know, that's, that's honestly how I feel. It's just people making compromises and they're, they don't want to, you know, anger anybody. They don't want to, but I'm like, you know, you're supposed to do what's best for the project. When I say what's best, I mean, it could be nice to have blocks go up to 10 megabytes right now and start collecting a lot of money for miners. It might even help with the price action. But is that what we really want to turn Monero into, you know? Are you, are there, oh, go ahead, go ahead, buddy. I think the last thing that I saw from Moo on the, uh, on the MRL chat was he was in favor of um, limiting and uh, potentially encrypting, but I don't think he was in the remove camp. No, he, he was in the remove camp. He voted A, B, 3, and then after arguing, he got mad at us and said that he wants to vote B3 just because he's mad at us. But, hey, you made me say it. So just for just for clarity, so the thing is everyone agrees that something needs to be done uh, yeah. at this point. So in order to make the decision uh, to facilitate us coming to consensus, um, they limited to one of two options, either option A, which is totally remove it entirely, or option B, which is limited to like 256 kilobytes or 512 kilobytes. I'm oh, sorry, not kilobytes. Why do I keep saying that? Bytes, uh, 256 bytes or 512 bytes, um, and then potentially encrypt it. There's really an open question about we don't, we practically cannot enforce encryption at the consensus level, at the protocol level. Um, we're basically going to have to rely on relays to perform some kind of statistical test um, because you should have um, basically a uniform distribution of the bits. Um, but there is a question about how reliable those tests are because you're not, Usually you would perform that over um, kilobytes or megabytes of data and say if it was random or not, but we're only talking about um, 256 or 512 bytes here. So um, the last I saw from Mu is that he was in the camp of um, keeping it but limiting at 256 or 512 bytes. And then um, there's still some open question about how and if we can enforce encryption on it. Um, that will maybe – it's hard to say, but that might make it into um, – into the code in terms of the way that the relays act. So in other words, um, it, you're not like you wouldn't reject a, a transaction or sorry, you wouldn't reject a transaction extra that doesn't have encryption because you can't, there's no way to like cryptographically say for sure that yes, it was encrypted with the proper key, at least not without changing the signature scheme and having to incorporate some like cha-cha algorithm or some crazy stuff that's just like completely impractical. So what's happening right now is that it's being limited to one kilobyte or a thousand bytes, but the relays are enforcing that. So relays are saying, hey, I'm not going to relay your transaction. I'm not going to broadcast a transaction um, that, uh, that's over this limit. But hypothetically, no one, that's not part of consensus. You could run an old node that still relays those transactions for transaction extra that might be, you know, like, like a megabyte if you wanted to. So anyways, that's, um, hopefully a little bit more clarity there on, on, uh, what's going on with that, those two options. The, the people behind this, didn't they, wasn't their proposed solution that it, the tr- transactions that when transactions are made, it should just ignore, um, you know, the inputs that are, are using the M-ordinals? Yeah, but that creates segregated uh, transaction pools on the blockchain and still doesn't do anything about the bloat. And so that's, that's definitely an, a no-starter, a non-starter? For, for me, that, that's for, for me, it's like, you know, if you have 1 plus 1 equals 2, everybody's like, but we could make it 2.1 or 1.9. And I'm like, why don't you just do what, just what, what do you, I don't know. No, 
it's a non-starter for me. Anything, anything, but, but like, I, like, uh, sec one had said, uh, limited to one kilobyte, not said, but there's a pull request that's been open for a month from Tevador to limit it to one kilobyte. And like, that's the one we're trying to push forward for with right now. Like, because it's already open, it's written, it's, it's partially reviewed, you know, it's, but as far as, like I'm saying, it's, it's an attack vector and anybody that wants to say it isn't, you know, they just don't know what, they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Eddie, go ahead, buddy. Sorry, Emma. Uh, so I just wanted to, um, offer a couple maybe opinions or, uh, again, a little bit more clarity on, on the sizes of these transactions we're talking about. And I don't think it's entirely comparable to Bitcoin, although, um, of XMR does make a good point that um, it, it could like this thing could end up looking a lot like an attack vector if it becomes popular. Like if Monero becomes widely adopted and we see adoption increase by say 10x and people really like these uh, these ordinals or, or whatever any kind of arbitrary data storage. It doesn't have to just be ordinals. Um, but the thing is, Bitcoin right now is looking at four megabytes of available space in the witness data. So people have uploaded almost entirely like four megabyte JPEGs um, or even video sometimes. Um, but, you know, right now what we're talking about is limiting to 256 bytes or, uh, you know, or 512 bytes. So like the ability to upload 4K streaming is really that's going to be so difficult. And the other thing I would say is that all of. All of the arguments against a flood, um, like a flood attack on the network, basically double, in my mind, they double here for this question of, well, do you want to bloat the blockchain? You know, it's an attack vector where someone can make, you know, just massively expand the blockchain. And it's like, well, that's going to be very difficult to do if transaction extra is limited to 256 or 512 bytes, because that's really not very much data. You can see the ordinals that we're seeing on Monero right now are pretty crude, right? They're very rudimentary. They're, they're not like, they're not like the stuff we see on Bitcoin. Now, imagine cutting that in half or cutting that by a factor of four. Those are not going to be very good NFTs. They're not going to make for very good images. So, and then if you have to string transactions together to make larger, you know, to upload 4K streaming video, um, that's that's going to run into so much cost for anyone that wants to do that. That that's to me like the arguments against a flood attack uh, double for the question of can ordinals really bloat the blockchain here. That's that's what I said though, is that it it increases the cost, but it doesn't stop the the attack. You know, it increases it from basically free till you need a little bit of money. But how how is that different from like any other flood attack that we've talked about in um, just general attack vectors and trying to poison outputs? Oh, when you get a response, <laughs> I, I would say it's not. Only that one of them can happen completely unintentionally, just simply by people using NFT. Yeah, you do make a good point there that. Okay, so a single dedicated attacker is going to have a very hard time doing a flood attack, but if hypothetically um, ordinals or NFTs are, like, widely available to the masses, it might look like a flood attack from a non-malicious, like they're not trying to be malicious, but perhaps the masses love their NFTs, and so they can all pool their resources and sort of accidentally attack the network. That, that could be possible, I guess. What do, what do you guys see as being so – what immediate move you think will be made? In terms of reactions, well, the first thing that that like uh, so pull request eighty seven thirty three is open, and that's the one that was written by Tevador, and that's what's looking like we're gonna merge ASAP to release in the next point release, mm-hmm. and that should limit it to one kilobyte, which okay. should increase the cost. Which I'm saying right now is it's it's too low. It's it's too low. It's dangerous though. Like mm-hmm. it's that's it's not cool though. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can put one hundred kilobytes on the chain for like twenty cents. Yeah, and and. And you can do it at an insane rate. 
Yeah, I, I have already made too many. I need to stop. And, and, and as far as what's on the blockchain, we have gifts on the blockchain on Monero. Yes, I made them. I made the first one. <laughs> and, and B, well, uh, so you're using this, you're interacting with it. Are you, but, but you're ultimately opposed to its, its usage? Yeah, this, this shouldn't exist. Not at all. Uh, I've been using it because it's kind of funny. I got to play around with command line. I haven't used the command line wallet before. I had to use it for this. I learned something new. Uh, but I don't think I'm going to mint anything more than what I did like yesterday. Do you, do you guys think this was potentially started by somebody in the Monero community that wanted to prove a point that, you know, we, we, a change needs to be made before it's, it's abused? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So uh, it was like maybe six months ago, we had somebody come in MRL. Their name was TX Extra. And they said, remove TX Extra. <laughs> and we said, oh, well, we've been talking about it, blah, blah. And they said, okay, fine. Go check the blockchain. And the MRL logs were on the blockchain. They were uploading all of the logs from MRL to the blockchain. And they were like, can you stop doing that? And he's like, okay, I'll stop. And he turned it off. And he's like, now remove TX Extra. And other people talk about it. And now here we are. Okay. It's like, if you don't, like, if you, you know. And that's the thing is it's not just about being able to post. Like, right now, you can post public information, whatever you want on 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 tx extra and if a malicious actor is doing that and poisoning outputs if they don't have tx extra it's only obvious to them but if with tx extra anybody looking at the blockchain can see can see the messages they're writing and someone posted like a collection before even the the mobs happened they went over the tx extra that already exists on the chain and they were like like hundreds of emails there was credit card information we, we, we used payment IDs back in the day when we threw a Monero party as a way for people to send their email address. This was in like 20, 20, no, I think it was like 2018. Yeah. You know, uh, not, not knowing what we were doing and how we were, you know, misusing things. Um, that, that's, that, that's one of the biggest problems with it is it's like it's sitting there and it's just hanging out right now and it, it's it, like Monero Bull said, it shouldn't exist in the form that it's in. And I'm I'm not saying you should get rid of TX Extra 100%, burn it with fire, and then let people just bloat the blockchain some other way. I'm saying there's got to be a real solution here, and mm -hmm. a real solution that doesn't involve saying, okay, you can put NFTs as long as they're smaller than this size. And if you want to make them bigger, then you got to – we're just giving you an easier way to, to do the stag. Mm-hmm. But you're you know, saying if not you, a if you want to, Yeah, if you want to stag, then you got to go – you got to do it the hard way. And if you want to use – the field that we made for exchanges, then you got to be an exchange. <laughs> That's going to be kind of hard to enforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you know what, you know what I mean? Like we have, like, uh, like, like, say we have a field for the TX pub key. The only thing that'll be in there is the TX pub key, not just random junk. Where so right now, TX extra, you can put anything you want in it. So hypothetically, if we remove TX extra entirely with Seraphis, I, I think right now the consensus for the most part is to, um, to use relays to limit to one kilobyte. Um, to get that pull request merged. Um, so the conversation that's happening now is about what do we do with, with Seraphis when, right? Cause we want to fix the thing hopefully forever. Um, by the time Seraphis comes out. So then, um, that's where the sort of A and B option comes into play. One thing that, um, so I've kind of trying to been doing some numbers and talking to some of the devs to understand what the risk of steganography is. So if we remove TX extra completely, um, Right now, there's 16 outputs is the maximum number of outputs you can have on a single transaction. Um, each of those are 32 bytes, each output, um, but only about 20 of those bytes are useful for encoding data. 
So that leaves about 320 bytes of data that you could use uh, outputs for arbitrary storage of information. So um, 320 is, you know, pretty close to that 256, uh, 512 bytes number. Uh, it still does enable arbitrary data storage. And the problem is there's not, it, there's almost no way to stop. There, there's basically no way for any blockchain to stop people from storing arbitrary data in different parts of the transaction. And the output data is not the only place that you could store um, that you could store data as well. So, I mean, the argument for getting rid of transaction extra is like, okay, yes, it's a problem, steganography, people in st- uh, storing arbitrary data on a chain that's supposed to just be digital cash. Um, you know, that, that's kind of a problem that everyone has, And but the argument is that we should limit that as much as possible. And, okay, so maybe people will still use steganography for arbitrary data storage. It's less efficient. It's um, You're going to end up having to pay more costs. Um, but it does still look like that's possible there. So... Yeah. The one, the only idea that I've personally been able to come up with, and you know, I'm not a dev, and I kind of pitched this to a few guys, and it seemed like they, there was some pushback, but it wasn't like um, tossed out, you know, completely tossed out of the window. Hypothetically, maybe relays could implement some kind of statistical check on the output set. So, like, let's suppose you have um, four or more outputs. So you might say, okay, well, this is a high risk transaction to be potentially storing arbitrary data. So let's apply some kind of statistical check to see if this meets some minimal randomness threshold. Now, it won't stop people from storing arbitrary data. They could just encrypt it. But at least if it's encrypted, then you've kind of solved 99% of the problem, which is having the effect of poisoning the outputs. Um, there's also kind of a counter argument to be made that if we go to 32, 64, 128 ring members with Seraphis, Suddenly, this might become less of a problem. You know, you might have some poison outputs sitting here or there, but, you know, you've got so many more ring members that it's it's really not nearly as big of a problem. Whether that's actually possible with those statistical checks, again, is, is difficult to say because you're working with so few bits that, um, you know, you could end up getting a lot of false positives or false negatives. Um, but anyways, it's it's one idea that maybe could help alleviate the problem. Ideally, we would go to full membership proofs, and that would really basically fix the problem, or, or at least the poison output problem. That's yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Is a full membership proof is looking to be the answer. Well, the the answer to allowing it without because you can because with the full membership proof you can do all all sorts of different things that lower the the size or the cost of sending those transactions. So an NFT might not have to use as much uh, size on the blockchain. I mean, like as far as selecting transactions as its own decoys. That could still be a ways away, though, right? The um, full membership proof could take us many years to actually get that implemented. No. Well, the, the one of the things that pushes innovation is a need for it. So when you just compromise all the time, you never do it. How far out do you think we realistically are? Two plus n years. Two plus n meaning like if we remove TX extra, I'd say maybe a year. If we don't remove it, whenever it becomes a problem again. What are the main trade-offs of? Um, of implementing full membership proofs like a zk snark. Uh zk snark has a has a lot of trade-offs has a lot of trade-offs right now. But uh we can uh Tevador's been looking at different different encryption curves and stuff like that that we can do for a basic full membership proof. So like it's not like we're stuck in the mud. And like I'm saying Tevador is the one that opened the 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 issue to remove it. He's the one that wrote the pull request to limit it. And he's also the one that's investigating full membership proofs. So like you know, he, he wrote it, he wrote random acts. He, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's a, he's a smart guy and he's, he, I'm not just saying I trust his opinion, but it feels like to me, like he's in the camp of let's do it right. 
like let's let's do the full membership proof let's figure it out and let's you know we got to remove tx extra because you know right now it's not it's not good <laughs> i'm not gonna lie there's a part of me that kind of enjoys the fact that there's some small amount of extensibility i i mean i know a lot of projects have basically been able to get away without using tx extra for the most part and the ones that are using it can probably figure out ways around that um like, for example, with Seraphis, you can actually do refund transactions without ever getting sent a refund address, which is really cool, uh, which was part of the ThorChain problem. I, I remember, um, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but um, Kaya, Kaya Burr something or other. Anyways, he was saying that um, if he could do refund transactions, uh, he wouldn't need transaction extra. He could just um, use the, I don't know, whatever crypto magic Seraphis uses to make that happen, but you can send a transaction and the recipient can just send it right back to you and you never even have to send them a return address. But anyways, I do like the idea of um, extensibility, although I think, I don't know, I'm probably kind of wrong for that. <laughs> no, but like, think about what you just said, right? Like, so say if a solution was to add a, add a proper field for a refund address, then why don't we do that instead of supporting NFTs for now? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, once, once we get to maybe 100k transactions a day, 200k transactions a day, then problems aren't this big. Well, I mean, that's a good point. Like, it's, it's not ideal. Um, and, uh, Alex was making good points as well about, um, kind of how Bitcoin has this crazy ecosystem full of soft forks and non or complete backwards compatibility and everyone's on some different standard and there's hundreds of BIPs out there. So, like, development on the Bitcoin ecosystem is really difficult. And he was saying that Transaction Extra opens the door to that same problem. Um, he makes a good point. I'm not sure that I would that I would take it as far as that because Bitcoin has all of these extra problems, you know, all of these BIPs, and, and they've soft worked so many times and, and all this stuff, whereas, like, Transaction Extra is kind of like an arbitrary field um, that you could hypothetically build out other functionality there. I, I don't know. I just like the idea that it facilitates functionality, um, even if it's some small amount. I guess personally, I'm not worried about NFTs. Um, these are like at one kilobyte, these are very crude NFTs. And if you cut that down to 250, uh, 256 bytes, like, are you really going to be able to put anything there that's going to catch on? People are just going to use other chains that they can upload 4K streaming video as opposed to, um, you know, like Windows 95 looking images. Right. But that's the problem. So people keep saying that, you know, you're just going to push good actors that would normally use TX extra to stag and this, that, whatever. Where the fact is that anybody that wants to bloat the Blake blockchain is going to do the easiest method. So if you leave it there for them, they're not only going to stag, they're going to stag and use TX extra at the same time. And TX extra uh, will make it easier. If you were like fully dedicated to making the yeah. most highest resolution NFTs that you could on Monero, yeah, you would definitely incorporate stag into that as well. Um, but as far as like the extensibility for, for example, um, someone like Kaya that's building on ThorChain, um, if we give him transaction extra, he's just not going to use, he's not going to use stack, right? He won't have any need for it. And I tend to think that's like the 99% use case. You're, you're alleviating 99% of the problem with stag. But, you know, then again, going to full membership proofs just like makes that argument totally moot because, um, the, the main part, my only real problem with not providing an output for arbitrary or a, facilitating ability to use some small amount of arbitrary data is that it can poison the output set, uh, which is the weakest part of Monero's privacy. So as ring members go up, sorry, say again, TX extra itself poisons the output set. If I have decoys in my, in my ring members that have, that have weird strings of TX extra, those are obviously not my transaction. 
is that so it's an extra bit of information like okay let's suppose hypothetically it's encrypted right um tx extra we've managed to get 99% of people encrypting their tx extra it's an extra bit of information that a transaction had outputs which came from a tx extra um but is it necessarily like does that necessarily mean that the next transaction there came from that tx extra you know it, it does because most of the people that are using tx extra like sarai or nfts have this stuff posted publicly so it's easy to you see you can run a scanner on on the nft websites to gather all the transactions that are that can be excluded and exclude them from it's 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 not a it's it's an easy you don't even need to run a blockchain to do it you can just use a you can go to a block explorer and that's a really good point i hadn't thought of that um that just tx extra itself poisons the output set i wouldn't necessarily say it's like certainly one to one but you know you make a good case that there's you know you're it's all statistical of course but you probably really are poisoning the output set to some degree and if you if you think about like Monero's small right now, so there's a lot of big attackers that don't pay any attention to Monero. If they did pay attention to Monero, as far as poisoning, they could, you know, like an exchange, we've already seen exchanges that, that use pre-selected decoys that, you know, that's like, that's, that's a problem on itself that Rupnium is working on to, you know what I mean? Like we have a whole bunch of different problems and, and adding the whole TX extra one on top of it is like we've been trying to solve the one problem for two years and we have five other problems on top of it that we need to get to. So we gotta, you know, that's where I'm saying like, like the number one thing we should be doing is limiting it immediately. That doesn't take a hard fork with the relay rules and everything and, and same thing like with the mining templates we can contact the top mining pools and whatever hopefully they don't mine these transactions and then they won't be stored on the blockchain and then at the next hard fork we can fix a bunch of other problems get rid of tx well i want to get rid of tx extra and that should push towards innovation towards serifis full membership proofs and everything else that every because if you if if you want to run a million dollar industry on nfts well then come help with serifis you know what i mean like or you can pay a lot of money to to store it inefficiently. But bro, my extensibility. Local Monero and Havano and everybody else don't need it. Thorchain needs it for for weird reasons, and Sarai needs it, and Sarai pulls view keys. So I don't see the extensibility thing there. I see a damaging to privacy. Is like if you're posting view keys, then I I can't support that. So whether whether or not you're using TX extra, if you're posting view keys, then but I don't think he has to do the view keys thing if he's if he's, if we got Seraphis, because Seraphis has all the different view key levels. I'm not 100% on that. I think you still need to post them to show that everything in the Sarai walls is properly backed. There's no paper Sarai. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how Sarai works, but I've never been a Thor chain supporter. I like Sarai. I like Kai, but I don't like the way that, that Sarai is planning on, like, like Kai had tweeted, like, you know, he did a lot of work to try to make it to try to make it the best he could. He could have released it months ago. You know what I mean? He could have taken it, like, it's Kai is not stupid. He, he, he could have, he could, you know, he could do all the stuff that we're talking about, but he's not doing it, right? Like, he's looking for real solutions, right? So hopefully, like I'm saying, hopefully we can find a, a good one. Like I'm saying, Tevador has already been looking into full membership proofs and, and, and all that other stuff, but we're, we're, you know, we're not talking to outside people to, find out what we can do we're kind of just dragging our feet here yeah i'm kind of just joking with the uh my extensibility uh point it's it's like this kind of like open like yeah we, we maybe we could do this and that right and but there's really not many people that <clears throat> that actually hardcore need to use transaction extra except for uh mining pools 
So it's more just like a part of me that's like hopes, you know, something could get built later on. But I mean, it's that's not really a good argument either. So does Pico Pool use TX Extra? Only for Coinbase. So like, and that was one of the things. If with removing it, we wouldn't be removing it from Coinbase transactions. But another thing we would be doing, hopefully, would be segregating Coinbase transactions from rings so that Coinbase transactions stop poisoning rings. Because Coinbase transactions are already public anyway. So that hurts privacy. It's having them in rings. All right, guys. Guys, are you guys down to jump into the spaces? I'm sure some people will, will have some questions there. Is that, are you guys uh, down to move over there for? Uh, what, Twitter space? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So we're going to go ahead and do that, guys. Anybody that has a, has a question in the spaces, just go ahead and start raising your hand now. We're going to move over there now. Cool. See you guys later. I got to bounce. All right, buddy. Good to meet you. Yeah, likewise, bro. Anybody that wants to jump up and ask a question? Lip, what's going on, man? Who do we got? Anybody that wants to participate in this convo? We got Monero Bull answering questions. We got Anon Shop. Body head, body head a run. We had offering. Lip, what's going on, man? Uh, people, jump up. Jump up if you got a question. <laughs> I, I, I guess we thoroughly talked about it. Offering, is there anything else uh, you want to yeah, throw up there? Uh, I'm not sure. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Oh, we have Freeport requesting. Hold on, let's, okay. let's see if Freeport has a question. Freeport, what's going on, man? <laughs> Infinity. All right, we got Infinity coming up. Offering Monero Bulls. Is there anything else you guys want to add to uh, what we spoke about? I think we covered it pretty well. Uh, I don't particularly have anything. If the creator of Morbinals, uh might yeah, be listening for some reason. Um, yeah, let me think for a second. I had a couple things that I didn't say. Yeah, I'd like to see MP4 support because I minted one for 20 cents and I don't want to see them go to waste. Th- that's your message to uh, the creator of Immortals? Yeah, please add MP4 to the Explorer. Untraceable, what's going on, man? Sorry, I'm, I'm adding people as speakers here, and they appear to be getting, like, booted off as I add them. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, hey, how you doing, Doug? It's like Twitter space has been acting up, too. Yeah. Man. It would, like, boot me down when I come up. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, man. What do you got? You got any, uh... Yeah, it made me reset my permission. You got any M-Ordinal comments slip? Yeah, so, uh, what's the use case y'all see M-Ordinals? Can y'all, like, elaborate? Because I just saw that it's kind of interesting. What are the use cases for those NFTs that you could see being used? Um, not really anything besides having NFTs on it, uh, chain, store data on Monero. Well, right now, the one thing I was thinking is like, you used to have XMRmemes.com, and you got SuchWow.xyz. Like, you could, you know, instead of uploading the memes to, to those websites, you could just put them on the blockchain instead. But I'm just, I, I don't, I don't see, there's, NFTs aren't, aren't the place for Monero, in my opinion. There's plenty of other blockchains for that. All right, we agree. That work well on smaller, work well on smaller transaction sizes, less, less overhead for verifying the transactions. Cause to add the transaction extra, it's not just, you're not just sending a transaction extra in plain text over the blockchain. You're sending a transaction. So that transaction has to be lying. Got to go in somebody's TX pool. It's got to be stored on the, on the, on the blockchain. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, in, like Monero Bull was saying, it costs almost nothing. You don't have to send any Monero to, you know, you can send 0.0001 Monero and add a TX extra to it, add an NFT to it. Untraceable. I see you keep trying to talk. I keep adding you. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with that. Tuxedo, what's what's up, man? Yo. Uh, yeah, this is super interesting. I didn't I didn't realize what you could do with TX extra. And now everyone, of course, is just like going crazy with these uh, NFTs, I guess, if you can kind of call them that. 
I know it's not exactly the same as doing this on Bitcoin, but uh, yeah, I think this is kind of stupid on Monero because it's literally antithetical to what Monero is. Um, like it's it's funny hearing NFT on Monero because Monero is supposed to be entirely fungible. Um, and so personally, I think that it should just be removed because I don't like. Yeah, NFTs are kind of cool and, you know, it could be like a hobby thing. Uh, and it, it could be useful for storing data sh- data that would be like censorship proof, but I just don't see like the need for it on Monero specifically because it's not what Monero is trying to solve. And I think it's just going to end up being like unnecessary weight. I, I wouldn't mind seeing NFTs on Wow Narrow. Oh yeah, Wow Narrow would be a good use for that. <laughs> yeah, wow Narrow has more ring members and everything. Twenty-two rings. That's Wow. Yeah, I think that's a perfect use case for Wow Narrow, but I can't. Yeah, if I want to uh, do the deed in my house, and, like, I don't have to use Monero to do. It's supposed to be a payment, but that's just not a thing. Yeah, and from the user perspective, even with NFTs and stuff, it still might work as a payment thing. But the problem is, for blockchain, for node runners, that's a that's a lot. You know, I got to go out and buy new storage because people want to store pictures or videos or 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 messages or or. or Whatever in the public, like they just want to have fun on the blockchain. I'm like, that's, you know, this Monero is supposed to be a serious blockchain. I, and like, I don't, like, if somebody wants, if somebody has to go, you know, use arbitrary data storage for whatever they got to use it for, then they should pay the cost and do it the hard way. Or like, you know, what we were talking about a few minutes ago, there's, there's ways that it can be implemented where it doesn't hurt the, the, where it doesn't hurt node runners or it doesn't hurt miners. Or the user experience. Cause there's some people paying like on, on Bitcoin. You can see that there's transactions getting pushed out of the blockchain on Bitcoin that are under a certain value. And it, you can actually look on mempool.space and see that some of those transactions are real transactions. And then the, in the first, in the next block, you have some people paying 200 plus dollars to get their NFT. You know I mean? It's, it's, you know, it's like more than 24 hours worth of backlog on the Bitcoin blockchain for people that accidentally set their, their fee too low. Or that got front ran by, by somebody that wanted their NFT to come through. And the joke with ordinals was I was seeing the spam from, from ordinals for months and months and months, but I had no idea that it was ordinals. You would just look at the blockchain, you would look at the Bitcoin blockchain, you would see all these blocks that were similarly sized, like they were huge. I mean, all these transactions that were huge that all had the exact same fee on them. And I was like, what is this? Every now and then you get these weird spam attacks. And then, Ordinals come out and it explodes and it goes from every now and then 30 block backlog to a consistent 150 block backlog, which is crazy. Monero's got dynamic blocks, which is dangerous. Yeah, ex- explain that a little bit more often with the, the how dynamic blocks play into this. You're just saying because it's be abused more and more. Yeah, it seems he dropped out, but if you if the blocks get larger, the miners can decide to sacrifice some of the block reward in order to grow the block. And they in turn get more transaction fees. And this is over an average of 100 blocks, which I think takes like a couple of hours. And, but in this time frame, you could push the blockchain pretty, pretty high. Yeah. I apologize to people that are trying to come up here to speak. I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you up here and then I'm having some issues here on Twitter spaces. Untraceable. If you want to, if you want to give it a shot again, Joe Raptor, I saw you tried. I'm inviting you to speak, trying to. Not let, not really letting me. Up, oh, looks like we lost our friend Tuxedo. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I hear you. 
<laughs> okay. I, saw, I I thought you you had something else you were trying to say before. Oh yeah, I, I'm not sure. My connection kind of went off. It's being kind of weird. Um, I like the point that um, I think it was often that brought up earlier about the the size of the the blockchain because like we want to push everyone to be able to run their own node because that's how Monero was designed. But like if if people are storing you know Shrek the movie on it, then it's like it's already pretty big. It's like 86 gigabytes for the whole thing, if I remember correctly. Um, cause I run on one locally in my computer. It's like purged up to like a block height though from when I created my wallet, but I'm going to start running a full one and it's pretty big already. But if people start like loading a bunch of stuff on it, then it's going to like just get so much bigger so fast. Peter agreed. Peter agreed. Uh, yeah, I'm having a lot of uh, spaces issues here. Uh, untraceable. I see you keep requesting. I keep accepting you and then it just loads and you never get up your offering. It looks like you got booted. We'll try this out for another minute or so, and we'll probably just end the spaces because it looks like we're having a lot of technical issues here. Can people hear me? Just kind of give me a give me a thumbs up if you could hear me. All right, people can hear me. I just can't really add people. Um, untraceable or Joe? Can you get can you guys talk or Joy Joy Raptor? No, it's not allowing you to to, to come up as a speaker. I don't know why. Um, all right, guys, I think we will we'll close it out here. Uh, unless anybody else wants to, to attempt to speak, but we're having we're having some technical issues. So I apologize for that, but uh, I think we certainly covered this pretty well. Uh, this will be an ongoing topic, I'm sure. Uh, the best way to follow it is, you know, in in the dev channels. Up, I see Joy is trying to request. Um, yeah, best way to follow it is in the is in the dev channels. You can follow the chat the chat there. Um, the Monero uh, Research Lab Lounge, I think, is maybe one of one of the best rooms to follow. Or Monero Research Lab, um, offering Monero Bull. Any any final comments? I think we talked about pretty much everything regarding this topic. Cool, cool. Yeah, I think we covered it very well. Uh, MoneroTopia.com, guys. If you want to grab tickets to come down to Mexico City, we're gonna have a ton of amazing speakers. I'm sure this will be a very hot topic down there. Uh, Luke will be down there. He's the one working on Sarai. I'm sure he has some very interesting things to say, especially considering Sarai is relying on uh, TX Extra. So, and, uh, ex- extremely smart guy. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's, he's a true, true believer in Monero being used as digital cash. As, you know, like Offren said, he's, uh, somebody who is trying to do things the right way. So it'd be, uh, I'd love to hear more on what he has to say about this, especially considering it's, it's personally affecting the, the tech that he's working on. Uh, if, if we were to essentially deprecate TX Extra. So he'll be down there at Monerotopia. We have Ko, who's going to be down there. Ko is obviously a very strong voice in the, in the community. Um, he's the one who's leading the charge for, uh, for Seraphis. So he'll have a, I'm sure, uh, listening to his input will be, will be very valuable. Um, uh, and many, many others. So. Uh, check that out. If you can't make it down in person, we're going to be selling virtual conference tickets as well so people can catch it live. And then obviously eventually we're going to just release all the videos for free. Um, but if you wanted to catch it the day of and participate in Q&A and kind of virtually participate in the conference, we're going to offer that uh, just like we did last year. We just haven't put that ticket up there yet. So that's Monerotopia.com. Thank you, everybody. We do these shows every week. And stay tuned. Uh, let's, let's see what next week brings in terms of M ordinals and everything else, Monero. All right, guys. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes. Offering Monero Bull. Thank, Thank you. you so much.
thank you for joining us on this week's Mineratopia episode. We stream live shows every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube and Odyssey, or listen to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or join us in the Mineratopia Telegram group. See you all next week.